Hey there, and welcome to Pod Like a Hole. We are a scrappy little podcast that started so many years ago. Three friends, that's Mark, Steve, and me, Eric, talking about Nine Inch Nails, album by album, track by track. We bounced it a David Bowie album by album, track by track. And this, this season, why it's 4,332 of our favorite albums, uh, and in as many days, uh, track by track. Um, uh, well, no, not that many, but we are we are winding down. We are in the, the final 10 of our uh, Run the Gamut season. Uh, and the next selection, the Diamond Dice Roll, was an artist called Tom Waits. That's right. We're about to go down in the hole. But before we can get behind the mule and plow track by track through Rain Dogs, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to kind of break our rule as we did for Bruce Springsteen. We are going to do a history episode. Uh, this uh, en- enigmatic man, Tom Waits, has left quite a trail of, uh, of, of breadcrumbs um, that we certainly need to to discuss in his discography. So we're going to, we're going to get in, we're going to make a meal out of it tonight and um, uh, couldn't be happier to do that and take us on the trip. So I'm Eric. Uh, Good evening, Stephen. How are you? Hello. Good evening. Hello. Well, he can confirm. It's a good evening. That's two for two. What about you, Mark? Is your evening good? <laughs> treat me right. It's treating me all right. Um, very much like this man uh, who we're going to be speaking about today. Um, that man definitely knew how to have a good evening. Yeah, I think Eric was looking for one of us to do something like where we would we would say like, "Oh, hi, Eric. Yeah, I'm down here on the Pasadena Boulevard with the uh, Julio and the jukeboxes, and I've got a bag full of something. I don't know exactly what it is, but if I pour it in this car here, it'll be able to go all the way home. Something like that, right? Well, that had me a little late. But <laughs> that's that's what we, yeah that, that that did the trick. Yeah, that did that got me there. That got me there. Uh, so yeah, so buckle up. We're gonna go through uh, his albums and some of his other uh, appearances, um, and I think it's gonna be a blast. So come on down in the hole with that. And uh, before we get to well, let's, Tom, let's 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 before we get to before we get to the before we get tos, let's just come out and say it though is that there are artists, there are artists, and this is. Uh, an artist, you know, you've got your your David Bowie's, your Trent Reznor's, your your Nick Caves, and somewhere in there, in a strange uh, town off to the south of those guys, on the quality and output scale, is Tom Waits. This is a this is a fun just fun guy to talk about. Yeah, he's one of our guys, definitely one of our guys. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, before we do that, uh, Steven, I know you got some news. Uh, have we heard about this? Have we heard about this? There's a few things. I know we haven't heard about some of them. And have you heard about this? One of them? <clears throat> I know you heard about it. Have you guys heard that, uh, about the Tool Supergroup with Primus that played a live show? Did you guys hear about that? I did. Um, I believe it was Danny Carey and Justin Chancellor came on down um, and played with the boys from Berkeley or El Sobrante 
And uh, also yeah. Troy, Troy Van Leeuwen from Queens of the Stone Age, among other bands. Um, Queens sure. of the Stone Age, who have a new album out this year, by the way. Um, but yeah, they played a live show. It was a, a tribute to a uh, Jimmy Hayward, I believe his name is. He, I think he plays music. He's in that Seagull Man band. He makes videos. He's a uh, artist and a musician that's friends with all those guys. And he's got uh, various, or I don't know various, but a pretty challenging bout with some kind of strange cancer going on. And it was a tribute show, uh, a fundraiser rather. And they, they played some Primus songs. They played some Tool songs. They played uh, uh, some Led Zeppelin and some King Crimson and some ACDC. But the headline here is that uh, they played the title track off the album Anima and Les sang it. Les Claypool singing Maynard parts. And I got to tell you, folks, not that bad. I actually really enjoyed it. I found a video of it. And I could I could I could stand for some more tool covers by Les Claypool. Uh, did either of you listen to that? You know, it's sad to say with a heavy heart, I did not. It was always one of those things is like, oh, yeah, that's right. I got to I got to watch that. I got to watch that. Even before you had uh, sent that to us in the writer's room. I, I saw that on Reddit and I was like, ooh, that sounds interesting as I just kept on scrolling by. Um, so apparently now that you've signed off on it, Stephen, I always worry if I click on YouTube, it's just going to be terrible sound quality and it's just going to be like disappointing to see. So that's why sometimes I don't just automatically go to things. I so just err on the wait, side of this is going to be bad. You wait until the every six weeks we record a podcast for me to tell you if it's safe to watch a YouTube video. That's a very good, uh, I mean, way isn't to go that me it. in a nutshell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was something to hear about and to uh, listen, uh, I was looking through this. This is a minor. Did you hear about this tied to our uncle acid episode? Uh, the band blood ceremony put out a new album. They only put albums out every once in a while. It's been seven years. Uh, I saw them open up for Uncle Acid once and I'm just bringing it up because they're a great band and they have flutes and I know we've never covered Blood Ceremony on the show, but they're tangentially, tangentially related to an artist we did cover and they have flutes and we have that that rule that when a, whenever you hear about a band that puts new music out that uses a flute, you've got to bring it up. So Blood Ceremony's new album came out yesterday. It's uh, it's called The Old Ways Remain. The Old Ways Remain. I'll listen to it. Good title. And then on, and then on the next episode, I'll do a plug like a blood ceremony. Uh, did you guys hear about uh, HBO Max becoming Max? Did you hear about that? You hate to see it. It doesn't make any sense when, when, when one of your biggest competitors was called Cinemax. Actually, Cinemax was owned by HBO. It was there uh, where they threw their shit they thought that was not as good. Or uh, after they had took the first bite of the apple, then it would be shoved to Cinemax. So, um, yeah, Cinemax, a, a subsidiary. You probably are like, holy shit, Ski Steve is scraping the bottom of the did you, did you hear about this barrel? The reason I bring up that is because when I was sitting on my couch, did you guys see this? 
that David Bowie documentary is on HBO Max now. That uh, that what is that called? That one that just came out. Moon Age daydream and let me tell you so um steven i'll let you finish just like ross perot would say um so tell me steve did you watch it i'm a man that almost bought imax tickets then didn't then never watched it and i should one day okay so i fired it up for the first you know 20 minutes thinking this is going to be like a, a documentary with talking heads not the talking heads with David Byrne, even though it would be great if he showed up. I'm sure he has a story or two. And it's just essentially a montage of his performances. It's just like one long music video with no narrative, no narration. Um, it's definitely a work of art and you have to be in the mindset. And as I was lying in bed, I was like, I don't really feel like watching a YouTube compilation right now. Um, I think it's a little dismissive, Mark. I think but, it's a little, that's a little dismissive. I, uh, no, I mean, it's, <laughs> we watched the whole thing. Did you? I think there's more to it than that. And okay. You, yeah. Yeah. We, well, we have the Blu-ray. We, we, we actually watched it a couple months ago. We bought the physical media. It. Wow. Um, yeah. He's going to stand yeah. up for it, Mark. He went out and spent money right. on it. Yeah. I know. <laughs> that's right. True fan <laughs> over there. My, I got blood. I got blood in the, I got blood in this one. Um, but no, I, I mean, I thought it was good. You can see why Duncan Jones and the Bowie family signed off on this, on this particular one, because yeah, it's, it's, it's artsy, um, a lot of good footage and you get reprieve from, it is like a kind of nonstop music fading in and out of each other, but you do get some breaks as you get some Bowie interviews. Um, so you get some, you do get some breaks, just hear some talking, some quiet until it kicks back up into the next thing. But some of the shots and the, uh, the, and a B roll that they got over the years of Bowie. It's just, I don't know. just very special. No, I, trust I me. The whole thing. It's very long. And I was just going to say, uh, Eric, like I, I I'm with you hundred percent on that. I just wasn't in the mood at that particular time thinking I was going to be buckling in for kind of a traditional documentary. Um, even though there's a few of those quite out there already. Um, so I was more interested to see like, okay, seeing how the Bowie family or excuse me. Yeah. Bowie's family essentially signed off on this endeavor. I thought that there would be a little, you know, of course it'd be a very artistic, but that I didn't just, that's not what I expected to sit down for a doc. But what I did watch, I was like, yes, this is going to be good for uh, when I just want to zone out to Bowie. I um, mean, one last Bowie bulletin, pop a few, pop, pop a few gummies and, uh, and watch exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Here, see Mark bounce here and there and everywhere. Um, on this week's, uh, well, again, if you're in a time machine, you'll know what week we're in. Uh, Tim Heidecker uh, and the Office Hours boys, um, they had an interview with Bobcat Goldthwait, and he tells some great Bowie stories. Uh, check it out, Office Hours. Apparently, Bowie was a giant fan of Bobcat Goldthwait. That's and amazing. they became friends. And uh, Bobcat told some awesome stories. A, these were the years leading up to Bowie's marriage. So apparently he just like hung out. He just, just laid, lazed about with Bobcat in those years looking for something to do. That's great. He's probably yeah, introduced did, to him. I'm glad probably, you heard that, Stephen. Or Eric. He's probably introduced to him by uh, uh, the guy the guy that played the cab driver in Scrooged. Um from the New York Dolls. Oh, Buster Poindexter. Yeah. 
who kind of looks like Tom Waits. He also had a movie <laughs> released. Yes. He had a movie released about him recently. Um, yeah, I know that David Bowie one. I've been meaning to watch. I, I hyped it up when it was first coming out because the kid who made the picture director made it, but I never got around to it. I'll get around to it. But if you want to folks, it's right there to be streamed. But if you're like me, you watched all four episodes of season four of Barry again instead. So that's <laughs> so like, Oh, that's on there. All right. Well, I'm going to rewatch Barry shows on fire. Yeah, that shows on fire. Uh, no ho Hank, man. That actor is uh, MVP. Uh, of course, Bill Hader's putting on a clinic too. And uh, same with the Fonz. Um, just such a great show. Well, let's not, let's not dismiss Steven friend Root. of the show. Steven yeah. Root is also doing. Oh, of course. Work. That's right. Oh, of course. Well, I totally, yeah, well, you know, well, how could I forget Fuchs? Let's, but also the, I don't know the actress's name, but Sally, uh, she does a great job. And uh, she does because yeah. you're not really rooting for her either. <laughs> I'm just not. I feel like, yeah, nobody. Um. Okay. Now, now, uh, now what I'm else we got? Like, who who am I rooting? For? Let's see. We're getting dangerously close to to, to Barry plug, talk. All right. No, to plug like a hole. Uh, do we have any more news, Stephen? Okay. We move into that department. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there was a new Peter Gabriel song, but I haven't listened to it yet. Eric, how is it? Fill your head. Calm all the nights, oh, calm all the days. So when it's it's great. Uh, four different kinds of horses, basically talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and uh, the uh, people that uh, that get seduced by radicalism and want to see the world burn. Um, and it's a uh, uh, Brian Eno's on it with some crazy sounding synths. Uh, obviously some invention of his own and uh um, it's a catchy one it's um last two songs have been pretty poppy um it was the bright side mix as we know he's releasing three mixes of each song um so yeah just hyping hyping us up for that full album release although we probably will have heard every song on it by the time it comes out but you know uh, yeah uh track track order that would be a surprise the, uh, yeah, and if if he went with a dark side or a bright side on the album. Um, last bit of news. Nobody heard about this, but uh, uh, I got to stick it in somewhere on the show. Uh, today, my today my son told me, he started saying dad gum a lot. I, I laughed. And I thought, where did you hear dad gum? And he's like, it was on that thing you were listening to. And I realized there's some Tom Waits song or spoken word where he says dad gum. And my son, my seven-year-old picked up on it. And he can't quit saying it. And then he asked me to put it on again. And he decided, he's like, yeah, I like this. So my son likes Tom Waits. That's that's the other news that we discovered this week. It's big news. Cal- Calvin and Hobbes and Tom Waits in the same week. I can't ask for much more than that. That's a, that's a, that boon. Is that's a boon. An apple that fell, that slid right down the, the tree versus landing far away from that tree. So good job. Thank you. In some respects, in others, no. Uh, but uh, <laughs> all right, that's it, Eric. That's it for all the news. I, I did my best. There wasn't much in the newswire, but that's what. That's did all we I hear about this? We we heard all about it now. Thanks, Steve. You did your job. Well done. Uh, that will go in your evaluation. Uh, next, uh, we're gonna go into plug like a hole. So, as uh, you know, we like to just share some things that we've listened to, watched, read that kicked us right in the crotch. Uh, Mark, what do you got? 
Um, so, uh, my recommendation, uh, it's not necessarily something that's new or modern. Um, but the word new is found in my plug and that is Newman, uh, not the, uh, fat Jerry Seinfeld antagonist on Seinfeld, but the Gary variety, the Gary Newman variety. So a little bit later, uh, these two boys will tell you about their field trip that they took. I had to play the uh, designated survivor uh, to make sure the podcast would go on should there be a tragedy. Uh, we've designated an individual survivor. Uh, uh, we alternate between which concerts we're all going to this year. So... That's I was funny. the designated survivor. Yeah, that's, funny. that's funny about that. Is we didn't plan it that way, but it's true. Uh, yeah, all three of us are going to a show together. It's all a mix and match. Uh, well, yeah, like I said, we all have to make sure there's one person that's left behind just in case. Um, so uh, Gary Newman, uh, these two boys went and saw Gary Newman live, uh, sneering at the audience, uh, probably saying the word bollocks at least once. Um, and then, uh, they got to see frontline assembly and then ministry. So I was like, you know what? That's an artist. I have not really ever gone through their discography at all. Um, so I started with two way army and then replicas, which was under his little shindig. It was fine. You've got your classics like down in the park. Um, and then releases the album that I'm truly plugging, which is, pleasure principle listening to that record on a good pair of headphones and when you're really focusing on it really fucking good that's a classic record classic i mean there's layers and things that are being done that you just like whoa this is good shit um and then i listened to the one after uh then i listened to the one after that i think it's like uh TechCon or something like that, or I, I I didn't memorize it. And now I'm listening to this one, uh, Dance, Gary Newman looking real fancy uh, versus what he's doing today. Um, and uh, gotta, that one is listen. a minimalist funk jam. W- yeah, he, which no, one? He gets, really fu- he gets really funky in the 80s. Um, and, I uh, Assassin. Yeah, no, that the the one that has a uh, fucking we take mystery to bed, which is one of my favorite songs of his. The bass line on it, the album cover with him in front of a flagpole dressed up uh, like a private detective, and just that name we take mystery to bed. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> um, I, I love that man because he never he never is ironic. He always takes himself extremely seriously. <laughs> yes absolutely the whole like man is machine uh motif that ran for like three records and now he's into his like uh you know uh old man trent reznor phase um you know still 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 cosplaying though still cosplaying he's got he's got an album where he looks like let's uh, not get ahead of ourselves all right Yeah, Gary Newman, that's my recommendation. Pleasure Principle. Do yourself a favor and revisit that record. It's a great one. Yeah, easily could have been on uh, the the season of a billion records. It's a a good album. All right, well, as Mark alluded, at least my plug, which probably is Steve's as well, is our field trip. 
to the Grand Sierra Resort in Reno, Nevada, where we saw a pretty epic lineup of Frontline Assembly, Gary Newman, and Ministry. My first time seeing all three artists. Um, I was excited. I'm going to go ahead and let Steve give us the rundown on those. So that Ministry show, it was something and a half. And I, so I, I, yeah, I saw Ministry two decades ago in Sparks, Nevada, which is right next to Reno, Nevada. And that was with our dearly departed friend, Jason Hellowell. And uh, that was a great show. That was for the Animositima tour. And it was a, a kick to see them again in Reno, Nevada, which is right next door. That's like the Shelbyville, Springfield situation. Um, if there's a place to see ministry, I feel that around Reno is appropriate uh, or Nevada in general. You know, a lot of the, what we keep seeing, Eric, the, the, the desert industrialists uh, or some uh, shit. Post, post-apocalyptic yeah. cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's some, that's some ministry stuff. But as far as the music goes, I'll just go through the whole uh, roster of the bands. Um, Frontline front Assembly. Never seen them before. Uh, a band all three of us liked to varying degrees. Uh, played for about 45 minutes. Um, Bill Lieb from Frontline Assembly is a total goofball who probably looks and acts just like he did in 1999 or 1991. Um, the fun thing about Frontline Assembly was is that Tim Skold, but Tim Skold is on guitar. And that, that was fun. Uh, their, their, their set list was uh, a mix of some, some, some hits and some, some more modern stuff. They did do me their version. They did do their version of... Uh, uh, Rock Me Amadeus, so that was amusing. Um, I was glad Eric got to see Frontline Assembly because he's a big fan. So uh, then Gary Newman takes the stage. And Mark, I can't remember, when I saw Gary Newman at the Fillmore, were you there with me? Did we talk about this? Yeah. Yeah, okay. we went, uh, the two of us, along with um, a guy I used to work with at a uh, fast food restaurant. I think he was like a German exchange student, too. Oh my God, you're right. That guy. Um, you remember him? Yeah. Yeah, he was from South Africa. Um, absolute, That's it. Um, yep. Very annoying human being. I haven't thought about him in like 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> I tried a memory hole. Um, but yeah, so, I, you know, Gary Newman in his older age is putting out some good albums, but he really is, he just really gets into the theatrics of it all and you know, the leather and the, the poses and the darkness. But they put on a great show. The musicianship was great. His posing and his... He makes me... Like, I get exhausted <laughs> watching. He, like, does yoga while he plays. He contorts himself and he does all these weird moves and makes these weird faces. But he doesn't miss a beat. He's really, Is really that right? dramatic. God. He's very dramatic live. And he, uh, their whole band dressed like uh, people from Dune uh, or Mad Max, including the guitar and the bass player both, like, shaved their heads and looked like... Uh, they, they looked like, you know, the, uh, uh, the that guy in Mad Max that says I had a little in Fury Road who had a baby brother, that giant bald guy. They both looked like him. Yeah. Um, uh, it, was, it was something. And it, musically, he only played like three old songs. Um, Cars, uh, I want to say, like Me, I Disconnect From You and another one. But his new stuff is so good that I didn't mind hearing it. And I mean new stuff like from 99 to now, which is 20 years. Uh, it was good. He put on a good show. If I drove all the way up there just to see him, uh, I actually would have got my money's worth. 
But then you had ministry and ministry. I, I, I feared we're going to either like Al. I haven't seen Al Jorgensen live in years. He's actually got his act together and it was, a, they were really good. The musicianship was tight. Um, he, he, he walks around the stage and kind of acts like a goofball. He kind of does like a Jack Sparrow thing. I, I think that, I think Johnny Depp kind of stole his uh, act from Al Jorgensen. Uh, but he's really funny. He's got some quips. He's got some jokes. He's with it. When he jumps on guitar, it's awesome. His voice sounds good. Uh, he does a lot of like uh, pantomiming and, and little antics and, and moves with some of the songs in a way. I really was impressed with Ministry. And what I really liked about them is that Ministry definitely is a band that has to play the hits. They can't get away from it. Um, and the way they did it this time is I could have used some more deep cuts, but I did like the first five or six songs were all off the new album, which I think is a great record. And the audience res responded very well. And I think they know that they got a good record because they played a bunch of songs off it. And then they played a new song called a uh, goddamn white trash. And uh, then they went into the hits and they played, you know, the, what, what, what you expect uh, new world order, uh, just one fix. So what thieves, stigmata deity, the missing. And, uh, that's about it. But it was good. It was a good blend. If I'm going to have to hear the hits, if I get to hear a, a bunch of new stuff that's actually good, I'll take it. It was great. They were, they were great. And uh, their, ba their bass player right now is uh, Paul D'Amour from uh, Tool's first bass player. That's cool. Yeah, the, that concert definitely filled my bucket, as the uh, cheese balls say, um, and uh, just made me very happy. Uh, the um, the Frontline Assembly um, just, it was so much fun, and then this bleached blonde weirdo shows up, and it's Tim Scold, who we've, we've, we've had a laugh at, and uh, he showed up to noodle on his guitar, and that was just quite all right. Um, yeah. And, and, and I agree with everything you said, Steve, Gary Newman was a blast. Um, his new stuff, I could probably pick maybe two songs off every album in the last couple of years that I, or the last maybe decade and change that I enjoy, but his new album intruder has is pretty elevated, I think in quality. And I'm glad he played my favorite tracks off that one. And I, and I couldn't recommend that album more. Um, it's really good. And yeah. Everything you said about ministry. Uh, double stamp. Yeah, yeah, it is good. You said something that made me think of something else. Oh yeah, Tim Scold. So Tim Scold, I think I've seen Tim Scold like four times live now with four different bands. Saw him with KMFDM. Saw him with uh, Marilyn Manson. Saw him with Frontline Assembly. And I think I saw him with like some other like a metal band or something where he just happened to be setting in. Uh, old Tim Scold gets around. MDFMK. That makes it five. So yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> bad record. Um, <laughs> really I've got it's really a bad record. Uh, even even like you know when you're younger and something new comes out, you're looking forward to and you try to like it. You try to force yourself, and it's just, oh god, this is 
good. <laughs> yeah, man. I've been there, and that is definitely one of them. You know, it's, it's fun, though, is that they went right back to me and came at the end. They're like, nope, we made a mistake. <laughs> this is stupid. I don't know why we did this. Nope, not happening. Um, call yeah. up. Call up Gunther Schultz. We're going right back <laughs> to the studio. I can imagine it like just the moment, like the CD shipped out the door. Well, that's that. Never again. <laughs> oh, man. But it's not like the things that they're putting out this day and age is really lighting up the radar guns either. I mean, um, short term memory, Mark, that last album wasn't that bad. We talked all about it. I know, I know, but I'm just saying, like, not that bad in comparison to, like, the five other ones that came before it. No, they've been, yes, until the last record, KMFDM has been uh, skippable since, like, 2004. Um, then that last album was fun. But I'm always rooting for them. Uh, all right, yeah, Absolutely. actually, I have, I have a couple other wrecks here, yeah, real quick. Uh, Dave Lombardo put out a record. Dave Lombardo, the... A drummer for Slayer, one of the greatest drummers of all time. Uh, it's called Rites of Percussion. And uh, Dave Lombardo is known for metal drumming. But this is him exploring everything else he can do, which is a lot. Um, I mean, if you dig into his discography, he's done, he's done a lot of stuff with Ipecac that was not just metal. And then he did an album with um, uh, like DJ Spooky or something. Uh, but this album... It 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 kind of has like I don't know how to explain it well. Besides, I recommend people should listen to it. It's very drum heavy, but it's different styles of drumming. And then there'll be some like keyboards and weird vocal effects. But it's all Dave Lombardo, the drummer from Slayer. But you know, he's a Cuban American. He's got he's got rhythm in his blood, if you will. And um, yeah, it's great. And. Mark and I will see Dave Lombardo speaking of uh, concerts with Mr. Bungle in a couple of weeks. So there you go. Rights of percussion. I'm very excited about that uh, upcoming show uh, to see Mr. Bungle live. Um, knock that off my list, even though I'm sure I'm just bound to get the raging wrath of the Easter bunny, even though I really want to hear some rec uh, songs from California or even self-titled, but I know it's just not going to happen. But that's okay. I can still say I saw Mr. Bunkle. Yeah, you never know. I don't know. They're they're, they're gearing up for a, a tour of just them. Maybe they'll pull out a couple songs, but hey, at least that, that Raging Wrath album is good. So I'll give it that. I have a... Those are the wrecks. I'm a... Yeah. All the, there, there we go. Uh, fantastic. Well, let's, let's, let's get to the man himself. Tom Waits, it's time. Let's chat about how how we do, how we've found Tom Waits, how he became our guy. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll start with you, Steve. Come on along with the black rider. We'll have a game. Steve, share a little bit about uh, how you got into Tom Waits. You know, like like a lot of these artists that uh, we seem to be in part of our lives, the majority of our lives, it's hard to pinpoint that one moment. Um, 
<clears throat> but with the uh, with Tom Waits, I can kind of I can kind of narrow it down. It's funny enough. With uh, Bruce Springsteen, <clears throat> one of my my Bruce Springsteen moments was that Roy Orbison Black and White Night album that my mom had, which had Bonnie Raitt and Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty on it, and also Tom Waits is on it playing the keyboard and backup vocals. Now, at the age of nine or whatever, did I say I'm a Tom Waits fan now? No, not at all. But that's probably where I became. At some point, he he was in my life. Um. Uh, around when I got into Primus was when I was in high school and Mark and I were friends and I'm sure Mark pointed out who Tom Waits was on Tommy the Cat and also showed me that his dad had a vinyl copy of Closing Time Um, and I found that very strange that was that same artist around that same time he was on MTV in the I Just Don't Want to Grow Up video um so all those three things were kind of happening at once. And I was becoming aware of this strange man in the, 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 the who used to be a crooner who became a, uh, a junkyard dog, if you will. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and so in the late nineties, <laughs> this, this kind of culminated in, in probably <laughs> seeing mystery men at the theater <laughs> and, um, and, uh, <laughs> Getting into Mule Variations, but also Primus's Anti-Pop, which is that, that last track, The Coattail of a Dead Man She Rides. Um, I never had anybody that just said, listen, listen to Tom Waits. More than just Mark saying, yeah, Tom Waits is this artist that's tangentially related to Primus, and my dad likes him. Um, and, and I just started, you know, exploring him myself more. Uh, it... it, it when I worked at the record store, I remembered that I was already, I probably at this point like owned bone machine and maybe mule variations because I felt I had to. But then I, I remember very specifically when Alice and blood money came out, um, I was, I, I considered myself a fan by then. And those were the first ones I remember coming out when I was a fan already, if that makes sense. Like as I was an established Tom Waits fan at this point, and those two albums came out. They came out, and then I started working my way backwards around the turn of the century to get the other records. And it is really there. There's some artists we have where I can you can piece together exactly when you got into them and how it happened. Very difficult for me with Tom Waits. I just remember some of these moments that are memories of mine. My mom with that Roy Orbison album. The fact that you know Mark's dad didn't have like a whole bunch of musical influence on. Well, I don't know. I'm not gonna speak for Mark, but not me. But for some reason, I really remembered he owned a copy of Closing Time on vinyl. And if Mark says that's not true tonight, I'm going to be like, I made that up. <laughs> but, um, and then also, obviously, Tommy the Cat and that I Don't Want to Grow Up video. Like those are all in the 90s. Those things are floating around in my head. And then just start working at the record store. And it's like, yeah, no, wait, Tom Waits is the guy you're supposed to like. And then I become friends with Eric. And Eric like kind of pushes the rest of the albums on me, especially specifically the Black Rider for some reason. And this is all late 90s, early aughts. And uh, before I know it, I feel like the guy was always like the, it's like some weird distant soundtrack to a lot of parts of my life. Um, and as I discovered uh, more about him and learning that he was born in Santa Rosa um, and then he lived in the, the urban sprawls, but then came back and kind of has been in like uh, the Sonoma County area ever since, which is a part of California I'm fond of. 
And the fact that in my early 20s, I became a Bukowski guy, like a lot of people in their 20s do, males. And uh, I was like, ah, he's, he's also kind of like a Bukowski type guy. Um, all of it just just was like it just made a stew that I really, really appreciated. And uh, it, it's hard to tell you exactly when it happened. But around the age when I started to be able to drink, I've been a Tom Waits fan ever since. And there's probably a real correlation there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Eric, I'm sorry I can't give you the definitive origin, but uh, it's a stew. And I think for Tom Waits, that's a fitting thing. Yep, we'll uh, we'll accept that. We'll accept that. Um, okay, Mark, what about you? So earlier on the show, uh, Stephen was sharing a uh, little little nice news nugget that his son was starting to appreciate Tom Waits at a very young age, uh, based on one word. Uh, for me, uh, that was kind of similar. Um, when I would be driving around with my dad, uh, either in his company car as a pharmaceutical salesman, um, or just going out and doing errands. Uh, he tended to, of course, to listen to the radio, but when the moment struck, he would unzip this god awful thing that looked twice as big as a standard lunchbox, and it was filled with Memorex blank tapes. And there were recordings. I mean, it wasn't like he had it on vinyl and then he, you know, obviously for his day had the same equivalent of us plugging in an iPhone into the car deck. His music was right there, all burned. Uh, well, ripped to tape cassette. Pops the cassette in. And what do I hear? I hear the song. The piano has been drinking. And I fell in love. Uh, it, it felt like it was a uh, madhouse version, a twisted mirror version of like um, Sesame Street, you know, or Pee Wee's Playhouse. You've got this furniture that's has a personality and a problem. It was just the imagery blew me away. I remember it very vividly and I, I loved it. And it's true, Stephen, you are right. He did have closing time. He also had uh, the compilation from the early years uh, when he was on um, same record label as the Eagles. I can't remember off the top of my head, but you know Asylum. what I'm talking about. Asylum. Asylum. That's it. The Asylum years. He also had uh, Nighthawks at the diner and him and my uncle at... Uh, uh, drunken get-togethers they would quote the banter back and forth between the two of them huh. uh so my dad was my dad was a big fan a uh, big awesome. fan of tom waits um he he tended to check out when swordfish trombone came out however and uh, we never really talked about the island years um so flash forward me growing up me getting into primus right on the money i i noticed that that's tom waits it piques my interest to go back and learn more about uh, the man. 
And eventually when we got to the record store, a uh, used copy of Beautiful Maladies, The Island Years, that compilation was in constant rotation in the old vehicle. Uh, those That's a hot collection of songs from I, the peak of his career, if you ask me. Um, and it just really spiraled out from there. Uh, I think that was roughly around the time when Blood Money and Alice came out. And uh, just like Steve said, I was fully on board. Um, and then I went back to get Mule Variations, which absolutely kicked my ass. Um, um, but we'll, no we'll talk intended. about the discography. That's right. <laughs> the ass kicked my ass. Um, but yeah, that that uh, that man, um, the fact that he also, um, I also forgot to mention this part. When I was a kid, my dad would take me to the movies. What movie did he take me to? But Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. When he saw Renfield on the uh, screen, he was like, holy shit, that's Tom Waits. <laughs> and I forgot that the man like had an acting career as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's my Tom Waits stories. I thought you were going to say that he took you to see shortcuts and I was like, ah, kind of tracks. Um, yeah i could i could actually narrow down if, if i had, if i had to pick one song if i had to pick one origin story song I can, I can actually narrow it down but i'll save it for one of the albums tonight when we touch on it eric what's your tom waits origin story yeah so the primus connection definitely got me in um and i specifically remember i've talked a lot about my parents good friends that lived across the street from us uh, and exposing me to like cool eighties artists, like talking heads and all that. Um, and, and I, and I remember cause I was the oldest kid there. Then the other kids were my age. So I would often just like look through their cool shit and I was looking through their cassette collection <clears throat> and I saw bone machine in there and I was probably, you know, 15 or 16. And I was like, Oh, that's the guy on that Primus song. And, uh, I looked in the, the album artwork and immediately saw, uh, less Claypool credited at being on there. And so I asked to borrow it and never gave that tape back, took it. And, uh, uh, you know, really just kind of blew my mind. I was at that time I was, you know, I liked Primus, but it was really into industrial and, and that whole kind of primal rhythm, heavy, uh, junkyard sound appealed to me. <clears throat> and I actually, that was the, the album I listened to the most of. Um, and then when I was away at college feeling, you know, I don't know, there, there's an, uh, there's an emotional element of when I got into Tom Waits, uh, that kind of explains why I got so hard and heavy into him for, for a while. And it was like, I was feeling lonely. I was feeling like surrounded by, uh, I just didn't have any, didn't have any friends there. Uh, and Tom Waits kind of like felt like a buck to the system. It was like, these are beautiful melodies, but it uh, sounds so abrasive that like, I just felt like, I felt like a, a connection to that and how I kind of felt in, in, in that college uh, environment, that social environment. I don't know if that makes any sense, but then, so when I was away, I, then I started collecting the rest of the albums and by the time I met you two at, at Dimple, I was like obsessed, probably too much. I probably played that shit over 
the speaker's a dimple way too much. Um, uh, I was, I was really into him in my twenties. It, it spoke to me. Um, I even <laughs> grew a, a soul strip on my chin and, uh, uh, you know, were, were flat hats and, and, and all that, it, it, that whole just kind of lifestyle definitely spoke to me and, um, you know, don't listen to him as much these days. Uh, but for the, you know, for the purposes of this, it all just feels like a warm blanket to me going back and jumping into it. Um, just a really important guy to me, uh, for a certain period of my life and always will be. Yeah, I got to, um, as far as listening to them much these days, I find that I don't put whole albums on as much as I used to, but I, I definitely have songs that are always in my rotation of his. Um, and after this, I'll probably go back to listening to some albums, uh, more often, occasionally again, um, killer discography, um, and I'll, I'll save my comments for some of the ones I do actually kind of put on more frequently than others. All right, so let's get into the man himself, Tom Waits. And the thing about Tom Waits, he talked to people, even the, the the music nerds you know with the best taste, they're either going to love him or they're going to hate him. It doesn't really feel like there's any in-between. Um, and, wh- and why is that? Well, what you're going to get, if you've never heard Tom Waits before, uh, we're going to make a case for him on this episode. But depending upon where your barometer is, you it may not make a difference. The whole thing about him is, is he's a incredible songwriter who, you know, can write songs about the most downtrodden people with, with empathy and humor. He can write about politics. He can write about, uh, the dark side of humanity, uh, and, and do it in a very cinematic way. Um, and with the, with the, with the most beautiful melodies, it'll get stuck in your head. Uh, but in the background, there'll be a bone xylophone. There'll be a, a uh, gas can drum. And he'll be singing in a falsetto that sounds like he also just gargled nails. Um, yet, yet, he will hit every single note to perfection. Um, well, he, he, so he's he, able to do that. He's able to do that, though. He's able to... He's got a, a good range. Um, he can do the falsetto stuff. He can do the the junkyard dog stuff. He can sing really tenderly still to this day when he wants to. When he was younger, he was a a crooner. Um, I, I just Eric, I just want to jump here and say that the guy's got range. He like on his more modern records, and by modern I mean the ones he's released since nineteen ninety, I guess. He's a he's got a lot of different singing styles, not just the falsetto. Oh yeah, no, I agree, and 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 and, and that was just a snapshot example. And actually, I I almost wonder if the people that that hate him 
only gave one song a chance and, and, and they stumbled into poor Edward or something. And, and, you know, and, and, and maybe they haven't heard the stuff that's a little bit more accessible. Um, cause there's yeah, plenty, think, there's think, plenty of accessible songs. Anyone that hates him hasn't heard enough. They probably hate him cause they heard he's eccentric and they shouldn't like him. If you're to actually listen to his music, there's enough there where everybody would find something to like. Um, Almost, yeah. Like I, I don't know. Like uh, I'm trying to think of a, a comparable artist that the three of us don't like because we're just like we, we we're not supposed to like that guy. But uh, with Tom Waits, I think that would be the case for most people if they if they if they make the time. I mean, there's a reason that some of his records are considered some of the the best records of all time. You look at the top 100 albums, you'll find a couple of his albums in there. I guarantee it. And uh, there's a reason. Definitely. For that. Yeah, but let's go through it. Um, where he started is very different than where he ended. Um, the whole thing about Tom Waits, and he does this on purpose, his background is history. It's a mystery. And he does that. At, he, he, when you when you hear him interviewed, he will tell three different stories about how he was born. It was he was delivered in the backseat of a taxi cab. Um, he'll, he'll tell you some kind of crazy story. All, all that we can verify, he was born, uh, and I remember this because it's like a month after my dad was born, same year, December 7th, 1949. Um, and, you know, his family history, he tells stories that that uh, contradict, um, you know, but his dad definitely introduced him to a lot of like world music um, coming in the, in the Southern California area. Um, and he came up in San Diego, San Diego music scene. And then he moved to, to L.A., um, where he began performing at the Troubadour after working the door there and at another place for a while. And um, apparently David Geffen uh, saw him performing Grapefruit Moon and was floored by it and, and, and negotiated to get him on Asylum Records. And so we so call this, this first the- phase and he... Yes, this is, is back, back in nineteen the seventies, early seventies. Okay, so early seventies, um, and so he's kind of doing, he's kind of doing at this time, either just him and piano or him and guitar, probably most likely him and piano, and he's kind of doing like a Randy Newman, uh, style, songwriting, but also there's kind of like a little bit of like Laurel Canyon early seventies, Eagles Linda Rodstant kind of. Thing going yes, on with yes. All of it. His yes, yes. So we we we've hit our first phase, and I call this the beatnik troubadour phase. It goes from about seventy three to seventy seven. It is very understated. Um, piano, some acoustic guitar. It's got a lot of Americana, as Steve said, but also uh, as they go on, borrow more and more from crooners and that sense of nostalgia for that um, that kind of Rat Pack era. Um, and we'll go through really quick and list the the albums that came out during this era. And you, and as we will do for the rest of this show, give me your rating. We're calling these uh, here. Here's the ranking system. If it's okay or worse, old shoe. If it's good, uh, then you're gonna call it hair grease. And if it's awesome, you're gonna call it can of beans. Because as we know, there's nothing like a campfire in a can of beans. So um, in this era, we have closing time. Mark, 
closing time for me is it's, it's some hair grease. It's, it's okay. Um, I think there's some good highlights on there. Old 55 and the actual song Old Shoes. And uh, I'm sorry, man, but Martha, that is like right to the heart. Um, and any given day, that one can bring you to tears. Uh, uh, solid songwriting. Yes, it's Troubadour, but it that one goes down smooth for me. And closing time is good, even though Old 55 was covered by the Eagles and it kind of does sound like an Eagles song. It's still really good. I enjoy it. It's It sounds like the sunset yeah. rising uh, or the sun rising. I don't know. When... <laughs> When interviewed about the Eagles cover of Old 55, uh, they asked Tom Waits, well, what do you think about their cover? And he's like, well, I don't know about the song, but the record makes a good coaster. So there you go. Look at throwing a little shade, throwing a little shade to those boys. To the Eagle That's boys. right. Uh, Steve, what's your what's your ranking on that one? Yeah, to your comment about the Eagles comment. Tom Waits is probably the most funniest and wittiest artist I think we've covered. That guy's got for a guy. It's amazing. He's, he, I don't think recluse is the word. He just, he's never been like a guy that like wants to be in the public eye. Um, he's in movies. He does interviews. He goes on David Letterman, but he's not in like entertainment weekly every week, but out of all the artists we've talked about, I think he is definitely like the one where you could pick an interview up with him or just read his lyrics and his quotable quotes with this guy is just, just home runs almost every time. And that's one of them. Um, to this album, uh, it's good. It's a, what's my mid-tier one, Eric? Uh, hair grease. Hair grease. It's hair grease. I, I like it. Um, it's not what I go to Tom Waits to. These first two albums in particular are not what I listen to Tom Waits for, but they're not bad albums. Um very much a singer songwriter, early seventies, kind of tender. These albums don't have the humor you find that I was just talking about uh, in his other albums. These are very earnest, which is good. Uh, the track on it that stands out to me. I love, I hope that I don't fall in love with you. That's my favorite track off this first album. Yeah. And that was a big, that was a big hit for him. I personally give this one uh old shoe. He's got, his songwriting prowess is he's coming out swinging or hitting grand slams age of what? 20, I think when he, when he made this yeah, young. Oh yeah. Uh, but what I go to, but the ones that really start cooking for me with Tom Waits is where his, his music writing matches his songwriting. Um, and he's just not quite there yet in his evolution. Um, but that brings us to the next one. he, starts digging into his nostalgia a little bit. Um, the beat poets and the jazz that he grew up listening to and enjoying. And we have one that I give, especially for the song New Coat of Paint. I'm going to give this Hair Grease. Heart of Saturday Night is the album. Uh, Steve. I give this one Hair Grease as well. I think it, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit better than the first one. He starts to, he's not there yet, but he starts to find his voice a little more in his character. Um, and as we get into the next phase, I'll try, I, I, I think I'll try to describe the persona he starts to develop. Um, 
But this one's a little bit more fleshed out. I feel the songs are a little bit more songs. A little, little, little less... A little less sitting at a piano, a little bit more like a, like a small band could play these. Um, the jazz, the, the jazz is coming in to, into play a little more too, but not as much as it does in the next record. Uh, the, the songs I like in this album are uh, "Diamonds in My Windshield" is one that always sticks out for me, and one that's on my Tom Waits mixtape if I were to make it is uh, the title track "Looking for the Heart of Saturday Night." You can't beat that track. And again, yeah. these are very earnest. These are very, there's not a lot of jokes. These are from the heart. This is not the stuff that when people think of Tom Waits as the junkyard dog think of now. This is a totally different world. Right, right. So Mark, 1974 is Heart of Saturday Night. What's your what's your ranking? Okay, um, I would give this an old shoe, uh, but it, more towards the okay. Um, so I prefer... A little bit of the more refined sound of the singer-songwriter of Closing Time. Um, to Steve's point, the jazz, the nighttime troubadour, although I will give the album cover a can of beans. Uh, that, that album cover, <laughs> <laughs> no notes on that one. It's excellent. Try to, descri- try to describe that album cover, Mark. I'm looking at it right now. What do you? What, how would you describe this? Um, so you got Tom Waits. All of this is an illustration. It looks like a... Uh, like a painting you would see in a, like a, a trashy motel or like maybe a, a, an all night diner and uh, a guy kind of rubbing the back of his neck, smoking a cigarette, walking out on the street. And you've got a lady of the night, a uh, little, little down, down, down the way, uh, giving our <laughs> hero the eyes and just got her hand on her hip. Yeah. And uh, it's definitely saying, Hey, stranger, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's jazz. It's, it's getting there. Um, it's got some really good songs though. Fumbling with the blues. I like, uh, new coat of paint. Great song. Great opener. Um, but I don't ever really real piano chops, piano, piano chops. On yeah. The track yeah. And it's, Hey, it's so worth mentioning. Yeah. This one is the first one that bones Howe produces, which I think he produces the next few of them. Yeah, I think he takes um, them all the I way think, through the asylum years. Yeah, and I, yep, I think all the way until his to, big shift. Okay, and I think a lot of the the saxes and the drums and the the bass you're going to get on these records comes from him. Not not playing them himself, but just as a producer, that's the kind of stuff he puts <clears throat> together. Yeah, yeah, um, but well, yeah, that's my thing. I, I'd say I'd give it an old shoe, um, but uh, it's it, I'm saying on the okay side. The best is yeah, yet to yeah, come. That's fair. That's fair. And uh, yeah, and then in, in, in the very next year, um, they released Nighthawks at the Diner. Uh, I've always kind of been partial to calling myself up on the phone and asking myself out. You know, oh yeah, you call yourself up too, huh? Yeah. Well, one thing about it, you're always around. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you ask yourself out, you know. Which was meant to be, it's a. It's essentially a studio live album uh, meant to capture Tom Waits kind of falling into this this tramp character, this this uh, mm-hmm. Charlie Chaplin type hobo character uh, with this, he's got this banter and he's just kind of talking at the piano at a saloon. Um, it's very funny. 
Um, so uh, this is meant to really show that side of him, which I think was giving him a lot of attention in L.A. at the time when he was playing live. Uh, Mark, what's your ranking on Nighthawks of the Diner? Okay, it's uh, Tom Waits' best comedy album. It's fucking hilarious. The bits that he comes with, the cup of coffee, uh, I, like having a fight with him and whatnot or having a fight with the scrambled eggs. <laughs> I can't remember. But uh, even make the crack of dawn, making a scene with a magazine. <laughs> even yeah, though, no, the, the famous one. Making a scene is, with a magazine. Is it like, yeah, I'm so. I I'm so horny. horny like, I'm the so crack of dawn better watch out. Yeah. <laughs> so something. If I was to base it on uh, being a comedy record, it's hair grease. But seeing how it's um, a. Uh, it, it's it's a jazz live in the studio album. I, I give it an old shoe. I come for the banter, um, and I kind of have the jazz playing while I'm doing the laundry. Um, yeah, Nighthawks at the Diner. That that's fair. Although, and I, and I gave it hair grease on the banter and the song "Better Off Without a Wife," which is like the banter extended into a very very funny song about a cartoon bachelor. <laughs> that i find that, that song i think is so catchy it's great uh steve rankin this is as high as hair grease can get for a few reasons one i think it's just quality music that's good to listen to i think the production's really good as far as a live album goes even though it's one of those you know live albums that are half live half studio but I think the band actually cooks pretty well on it. Like Mark said, the Tom Waits, the the yuck yucks are great. The, the anecdotes and the and the the jokes. I think that's what people come to this album for. Um, but at, like, none of these songs are on other records. They're all originals on this album, for the most part. I think, unless I'm wrong. Uh, it's not like a live. It's a live album, but it's also all original music, and I think it's done very well. It makes you feel like you're there in the uh, the jazz club. It, it's very intimate sounding. Um, it's a good time capsule, probably what he was like at the time. Like Eric said, it's it's the beginning of him developing the troubadour character. And also, I, I like, let's see, uh, this, uh, Kiss Alive, uh, Typo Negatives. Um, oh, God, what's their second record called? Is it, no, it's not Origin of the Feces. Uh, that's gonna bug me. I'm, I'm a type of negative super fan, damn it. Um, I don't know what it is. Well, Mr. Black it is. No, uh, no, type of negative origin of the feces, which is a live album, which is not live at all. And what they did is they, they re recorded a lot of the songs with their first album and then overdubbed crowd noises and Peter Steele talking shit to the crowd. And I, I love that idea of making fake live albums for some reason. I, I, I get a kick out of those. So. All of that gives it some high quality hair grease. I think if you want to, if you just, if you're a Tom Waits fan, but you're like, ah, this stuff from the seventies, I don't know if it's for me. That's fair. If you were to pick just one album out of the seventies, I think this is the one. Yeah. And it'll give you a, a picture perfect image of, of where Tom Waits was coming from, but he takes that, um, that kind of hobo character, uh, his he's he's definitely fallen into it, and 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 in some of the more earnest interviews he's given, 
he will at some point realize that he's, you know, doesn't want to get pigeonholed in this kind of cartoon character. Um, instead, he'll make more cartoon characters that he can bounce around in. But he takes this 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 image into the next record, which falls more into jazz, but also falls into um, big crooner ballads, uh, big uh, building up that production. And you've got small change in 1976. Uh, our country's bicentennial. Uh, I personally give this one a hair grease. There are some of those songs that have popped up on this one that stuck with my playlists. Uh, I wish I was back in New Orleans. Um, uh, Step Right Up, which is his carnival barker at a strip club uh, song, a spoken word song that has a lot of laughs in it. And uh, as Mark mentioned earlier, the piano has been drinking, which uh, when I got really into Tom Waits and talked to my dad about it, who wasn't necessarily a fan, he did tell me that he listened, my dad listened to a lot of Dr. Demento, which actually absolutely checks. And said he heard this song on Dr. Demento's comedy novelty song, Hour, which completely checks out. So, uh, Hair Grease for me. Um, so far for his studio albums uh, from this era, this is probably the top-notch one. Uh, what do you think, Steve, about Small Change? What's your ranking? I actually give this one a, a can of beans. Um, I'm a big fan of Small Change. Uh and I, I realized that I think I just said the, the Nighthawks of the Niners are the best ones in this era. Um, I'm going to contradict myself one album later because... Well, the songs are better on Small Change. They are, but also Small Change is probably the one that I do put on. Like if I'm making... I don't cook. If I'm heating food for the family or doing something in the kitchen and I want to like... 70s Tom Waits, I actually will put on and if I, I want to relax. I, I don't know. It's good. It's good music for that. And a Small Change, I think, has a really great collection of songs. Um, at the same time, with a collection of well-done songs, which are still kind of in that same vein of his, his 70s mode as a singer-songwriter, he starts to be a little funnier. And he also starts to change his voice a little bit. I think, I think you start to hear the the weirdo a little bit on this one, just a little. Um, the weirdo really begins to take hold in Heart Attack and Vine, but I think the weirdo can be found here if you look closely for him. But Pacey's and the G Strings fun, a bad liver and a broken heart, um, and then uh, uh, just Peter's giving me fits here. Um, Uh, Tom's Troubadour Blues. They're all they're all good good stuff. So, this is a good one. Now, it doesn't have my favorite song of his from this era, but I think it might be one of the stronger studio albums. There we go. I'll save it. Studio albums from this era. All right, Mark. Small change. Yeah, this one is uh, hair grease for me as well. Um, it is. Uh, probably one of the highlights uh, coming out of the Asylum years. I think I like one record a little bit later, a little bit more. Um, but there are certainly some highlights on this record. Uh, I really enjoy Tom Travert's Blues, Four Sheets of the Wind, and Copenhagen. Uh, of course, the uh, 
anecdote that I had for the piano has been drinking will always hold some uh, soft spot in my heart. Uh, Invitation to the Blues is another good one. Um, Step Right Up. That's right. I forgot that's like, uh, it's very scat based, but I like it. Um, And uh, it's Small Change. It's a fun record. You're really starting to see him mature and develop into the Tom Waits that we kind of know today. Um, getting a little still jazzy, but really kind of leaning more into being a character. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the seeds are starting to get planted a little bit uh, into where he's headed. Absolutely. Uh, very next year, we get a follow-up album, um, Foreign Affairs. And... Um, Foreign Affairs uh, is kind of leaning in much more to the spoken word songs. Most of the songs on here are spoken word. Um, it's his more, it's his most beatnik album. Um, that being said, it, you know, uh, as far as rem- memorable songs, this one's lacking quite a bit. I give this one old shoes. Uh, in my opinion, this is maybe a low watermark for Tom. Um, that being said. His duet with Bette Midler on Strangers, Never Talk to Strangers, is a really cool song. Um, but, uh, Mark, what's your thought on Foreign Affairs? Yeah, it's an old shoe. Um, you're right. I, you, this is. It seems that it was. this was kind of a step back or um, just weirdly reorganized because, as I said just recently... Um, small change definitely has the seeds to where he was going. This one, I feel he was still trying to search a little bit more. Maybe he wasn't as, uh, satisfied with what came out of small change. And this is what he needed to do. And I believe him and Bette Midler were actually dating at some point, uh, whether it was during this recording or previously. So I know that they were romantically involved around this time kind of kind of perfect um so yeah it's it's good um my two highlights were potter's field and burma shave um but yeah those that's that's my feeling on this one i do think this might be his least effective record yeah old shoe for me as well steve it's a triple old shoe a golden sombrero um I think this is his weakest album. It's not terrible, but as Mark is apt to say, unless I'm doing a run through, I'm not putting it on. Um, it's just, yeah, he, it, it's like he took a step back. I think the songs aren't that great. Um, if I had to pick a favorite one, it'd be Burma Shave, but. Not good, and that's that's the popular consensus I think amongst the fandom. For whatever for for whatever reason, this one ranks near the bottom all the time. All right, well. Luckily, the uh, the the uh, things look up on the next album, um, and I actually call this and then and the one that will come right after this. This is a transition period. Um, I 
it can definitely still fit into that like troubadour crooner era but um there's some musical exploration here that sets us up for the 80s um so in 1978 he made blue valentine i give this one a high hair grease all right on the cusp um it's got it's got uh this really cool the title track has this plucky 50s guitar riff uh on the song blue valentine um there's a lot of very deep lyrics on this particular one uh big orchestrated ballads uh, on like kentucky avenue um and then of course christmas car from hooker but uh steve what are your thoughts on blue valentine yeah blue valentine is great High hair grease. Um, I mean, God, some of the, yeah, some of the musical exploration here is great. The the opening, that, that song from West Side Story, he kind of does a bit with that somewhere. It just sounds just so old Hollywood. It's, it's wonderful. Um, Christmas card from a uh, hooker in Minneapolis. It does something that he does sometimes where it's this, this song is great because it's two things. It's very beautiful. It's very endearing. And then it's actually kind of a no Henry thing at the end, which he does every once in a while. Um, where she kind of tells you that, you know, everything she just told you is bullshit. Uh, but it's so beautiful sounding. And um, Romeo's bleeding. My God, that's a great song. Um does this one have walking Spanish on it too, or am I getting my albums mixed up? It does not. You're going to have to wait for the okay. next episode to talk about that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, but, but Romeo is bleeding Christmas card from a hooker in Minneapolis alone. That, that gets you in somewhere from West side story. Those three alone are great. The backside's good too. Uh, the last track blue Valentine's that's pretty uh, wrong side of the road. It's a good album whistling past the graveyard. It's a strong record. All right, Mark, what's your thoughts? Uh, high hair grease. Uh, this definitely goes a little bit more of a pompadour higher than small change. Um, everything you said is true. Uh, I'm a fan of West Side Story, the musical. I think that's one of my favorite musicals of all time. I'm not a musical guy in, in, for, uh, in that particular genre, but I do appreciate them from time to time. And him doing this version um, is—it's uh, good. It—it it, it has the emotional weight of Tony and what's her name singing at that at each other. Um, Romeo is bleeding. Another good one. Christmas card from a hooker in Minneapolis. I think I like the title uh, more than the actual song, um, but it's still a good song. I just mm. think that's a great title. Um, what other ones? Whistling Past the Graveyard. I like that one quite a bit, too. Um, but yes, uh, Ricky Lee Jones uh, is pictured with Tom Waits on the back cover of the record, and he was with her at the time. So, Mr. Mr. Alley Cat, Tommy the Cat it, uh, is my name, and I say unto thee. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, look at look at look at this. Look at look at the album cover. He's, he's a hunk on this album cover. He's Absolutely. A, he's a sensitive Sensitive hunk, yeah. and it reminds me, uh, old Tom is no stranger saying that Bob Dylan's one of I mean, uh, cliched as it is, Bob Dylan is one of his favorite artists of all time. And lyrically, I think those two both are great with uh, using a lot of words. And I also think that Tom 
and young Bob both kind of have that same uh, Zen power of handsomeness going on. Yeah. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll uh, cinch up this album just because uh, just you, you both didn't mention it, but Kentucky Avenue. I'll take the spokes from your wheelchair and a magpie's wings and I'll tie them to your shoulders and your feet. I'll steal a hacksaw from I think is a weird, um, it, it's why Tom left that producer that, that he was working with at that time, uh, after another album, because everything became this like big 40 piece orchestra mm. production thing happening. But that song is powerful and it's a cool song about kids growing up, getting scrappy, uh, you know, one friend in a wheelchair and like just trying to be free and live life. And it's a really kind of, very cool, very cinematic song um, that I really like, but I can also see why Tom was starting to to back away from the producer because it is uh, it's it's pretty bombastic. Um, but uh, if we're in our transition era, then the, ne- the next album is truly a transition era, and the final the final album he will do with uh, what was that producer's name? Steve Bones Howe. Bones Howe. Bones Howe. The final one he'll do with it is Heart Attack and Vine. And Mark, what do you give Heart Attack and Vine? This is a can of beans. I, I, uh, I love Heart Attack and Vine. I love it. I think uh, he leaves this era one foot in that and one foot in the other. So good. It has a little bit of like an immediacy of a jazz band that knows that they're being fired at the end of their shift. Um, I I just love it. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of true. Heart Attack and Vine. Great fucking opener. Uh, going down, down, down. Uh, God damn. Uh, that one gets me right in my soul. Uh, Jersey Girl, of course, the Springsteen connection there. That's undeniable. And then in the B-sides, things kind of tuned down a little bit with On the Nickel. I also really enjoy that song. And Ruby's Arms uh, is a phenomenal closer. This is a can of beans, baby. Oh, yeah. Ruby's Arms is a fan favorite. Um, uh, you'll see a lot online about that particular track. Um, Steve, where, are you can of beans on uh, Heart Attack and Vine? Where are yeah, you at? no, I'm can of beans on Heart Attack and Vine. It's one of my favorite Tom Waits albums. And like Mark said, it's a great transition from the 70s singer-songwriter stuff into the avant-garde of the 80s. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, that title track is amazing. Uh the title track sounds like it could be off the, I don't know, what do we call them? The Swordfish Trombones trilogy, but the, you know, whatever the, the 80s Islands albums are, Hard and Tech and Vine could come off those. Um, Jersey Girl is an all-timer, his version and the bosses. And I also like the track Saving All My Love For You. 
Art Attack and Vine is great. I would say I, I I told Eric this that it reminds me of um Station to Station with David Bowie. It definitely like a prototypical transition album. But it's as good as anything you're gonna find in either era. The wonderful record. Great album cover too, with the Tom looking weird. It's almost like Tom's like, whoa, that last record, I was too handsome looking. So now I'm going to look weird uh, in a fake newspaper page. You know, I I know I'm so glad we're talking about his album covers because he rips them off and they're so fucking great. I don't know if he has a bad one, honestly. Maybe uh, we'll talk about it. But do you guys? (laughs) Well, I don't think so. I think they're all pretty perfect. I don't, you know, I don't know. Black Rider and Real Gone are just, are just... Just graffiti. True. True. (laughs) Yeah. Whenever he graces the cover, Uh, I guess if we base it on that metric. Yeah. Yeah, Well, he's he's an interesting looking fellow. He was very handsome when he was young. And then he looks like Ron Perlman when he's old. I, I, uh, I do give heart attack and vine uh, the highest, the highest hair grease I can give it. My God. Um, oh, the highest hair grease. Okay. Yeah. The high, the highest hair grease. So, 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 uh, there, when I get to my can of beans records, uh, just more memorable songs. So, but that, that he can have more than a, one can of beans, Eric. That's all I'm saying. Open your heart a little bit. True. Open but your heart. Open my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but heart, uh, heart attack and find the song you have blues guitar. You have this like stand up bass that's playing along with it. Minimalistic drums that will define the rock songs of Tom Waits for the next, who knows how long. Yeah, that's um, true. He was definitely figuring out his sound and, uh, bones. How was like, I can't take you there, my friend. And, uh, there's a great documentary on, uh, on prime, that's like cheap. When I say great, I mean uh, cheap, cheap ass un, unofficial documentary. Oh, I, I love it's it though. Called, uh, under review. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very good. And Steve recommended it. Yeah. Yeah. Under review, Tom Waits from like 1974 to 2006, something like that. And yeah, a lot of British people talking about Tom Waits. Um, I love myself a cheap rock documentary that you can find on prime. <laughs> um, I will sit through. Yeah. I will sit yeah. through a Tom Waits yeah. one. I'll watch a Pink Floyd, a black Sabbath, a Judas priest and ACDC, even bands. I don't know much about or care for. I will give the t- Jethro toll. I will just, I'll watch them. I just love them. I love watching. I love watching people with accents go, well, in this period, you know, Tom was actually on the outs with his mother. This isn't very well known, but he owed her money. And you see, once she finally a, got the money from Tom, you know, I just, I love shit like that. Yeah. That, there's one guy on there that's like, oh, I like swordfish trombones, but I don't go back to rain dogs often. It's too trite. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's quite a, quite a documentary. Uh, but Bones Howe is on there and he says, yeah, this was their dividing point. Uh, Tom was getting into this more kind of noisy sound experimentation and Bone said, "Go with God," and 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 they're still friends, but that was where they parted ways. And that brings us into the '80s, where we get what's critically and pretty much universally loved, um, the new era of Tom Waits, the uh, the junkyard 
junkyard crooner. Record scratch. Um, record scratch moment. Wait, you're not going to talk about one from the I heart? know. Before we go there, I know. Before I know, we are. Thank you. Sorry. I was going to, I was taking the long way home. Anyways. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. But uh, there was a couple soundtracks that happened in between uh, before he got there. Uh, one was uh, the, and he started the movie, which began his acting career, Paradise Alley. A Stallone family joint where Sylvester Stallone plays a barroom boxer. On the soundtrack, Sylvester Stallone sings a couple old crooner songs. And uh, it'll 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 send fighting cats in your alley behind your house <laughs> running for cover. Two Frank Stallone songs as well. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And then you get you get Annie's back in town, which is one of one of great Tom Waits uh, B side deep deep cut. You get two Tom Waits songs on that particular uh, soundtrack. Uh, I'm assuming nobody has anything to say about Paradise Alley, as you shouldn't. Uh, but we get uh, one from the heart, which was actually transformative for Mr. Tom Waits. Uh, it was a Francis Ford Coppola film. It notoriously bombed and destroyed Zoetrope uh, production company. That was Coppola's uh, production company. And they sank a lot of money into this epic love story. Um, Tom Waits shows up here and there to be kind of like the chorus. Uh, he does the full soundtrack um, and it's very much in crooner mode. He does a lot of duets with Crystal Gale and uh, a couple good songs in there too. The movie definitely bombed, but that's where he met the love of his life, Kathleen Brennan. Uh, she was she was a, a crew working on the movie, and uh, they would then collaborate, and it would absolutely transform his career. Um, you know, the soundtrack itself, I give an old shoe to, with a couple solid tracks. Uh, but do you guys have anything to say about One from the Heart? I'll say that. Uh... The album cover has him looking at Crystal Gale in the movie, and he's got a a jaunty little hat on, just kind of tilted in a weird way. And it's kind of a, how he starts to look from now on. He always has hats that just aren't sitting on his head right. That becomes his look. He likes to uh, he likes to stretch his arms out and squint a lot, and have hats that are about to fall off his head. So that's what I get from one from the heart. I also think that uh, on this one. Um, yeah, I can't even. Maybe this one's from the hearts, a song that I might throw on a mix. It's just, it's forgettable. I never watched the movie. Have you, Eric? No, I bought the DVD. So when we were all living together, uh, they released this like super expanded version where you could buy the soundtrack, which I bought remastered, and uh, and the movie, and the DVD fucking didn't play. It was defective, and. Uh, I just kind of left it at that and <laughs> I have not seen the film. Uh, no, that, that's, that's but interesting. The, uh, that he met, that, that's it. It's interesting. He met his wife on this because yes, uh, Catherine Brennan, um, is Kathleen, as, yeah. Kathleen Brennan. Sorry. Kathleen Brennan is as an integral to Tom Waits as anybody could be in the second half or the, I don't know. The majority of his career, uh, she is 
They are a duo. Hundred percent. Mark, anything on 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 one from the heart? I listened to two tracks before I was like, you know what? I don't really have time for this. So it's more like one from <laughs> the fart. <laughs> oh. oh, there it is. Oh, God. That's right, folks. I'd like to take this time to tell you that uh, Plod Like a Hole actually was accepted to be part of the Barstool Network. And that quality of humor that Mark just displayed right there is what you're going to be getting every episode. Welcome to the new era of Plod Like a Hole. (laughs) (laughs) Sitting on that. All right. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm sure you'll get a good pun for the next one because uh, we've got 1983. Tom Waits. He's got he's got a new lease on life. He's got a new label. It's on Island Records, and he just wants to uh, uh, about face and uh, bring in all the bone drums, the tin cans and uh experiment and we get swordfish trombones which is one of his highest rated albums uh, mark what's your ranking swordfish trombones is uh the highest of hair grease before it spills into a can of beans um what the fuck is wrong with you it is absolutely your rankings are broken <laughs> oh shit you know that's that's can hold of on beans. a sec Hold on Fire a sec. <laughs> Let him finish. <laughs> no, I mean, this is a solid record. I mean, you've got Underground, Shore Leave, uh, 16 Shells from a 30-06 is an all-time fucking song. It's great. Frank's Wild Years is a small little interlude. Um, down, down, down. I love that one. I love that one. But there are some tracks on here that uh, are a little bit forgettable. Um, I do appreciate the f- like his first foray into really leaning into this new abstraction, more experimental approach. Um, does it hit on all cylinders? I think now that he's fully involved in going this route, you're not always going to hit home runs on your first go through. Um, so I think that it is an achievement and courageous for him to just be like, I'm doing something completely different now. Um, and I mean, it's wild. It's one year separated from one from the heart. And I know that he was probably like a little uh, frustrated with that, but just the fact that like that hard switch, even though heart attack and vine small change definitely are showing like where he really wanted to go and now that he's fully invested into doing it, he's here. And this is what it's going to be like from here on out. And this is the opening salvo. And I think that it's so amazing the fact that he was able to pull it off. But I honestly feel like the best is still yet to come in this genre of what he's kind of creating. And I, I yeah I mean I don't get me wrong high high highest of hair grease, um, but I feel like we're not quite there, 
in this particular version of Tom Waits to give him a can of beans quite yet. I think that's fair. Um, songs, uh, there are like just like a vibe to this album that maybe stands higher than actual songs. That being said, Underground, 16 Shells from a 30-06, um, the title track, Swordfish Trombone, and then I Love In The Neighborhood. That that song is adorable. Uh, those push this into the can of beans for this gentleman here. But Steve, I want to hear what you think. Yeah, uh, I get saying but I, I think it's easily a can of beans for a few reasons one like mark said the, the one year separated from one from the heart to this to this crazy avant-garde thing, like it's amazing how do you do that that's like becoming that that's like becoming a whole different human being together that's like burning like like frank burning your entire life down and becoming a new person all together in one year it's incredible that he was able to do that there were shades of some of this stuff in the early, in the last two records, or the, the, the uh, or not, not soundtracks, but Blue Valentine and Frank Wilde's years, a little bit, but not really. I mean, this is just something else altogether. Um, it's a sound unto itself. It definitely makes sense that it is in the 1980s, but it sounds like nothing. Uh, you really ever find someone that uh, people talk about? Oh, yeah, Captain Beefheart's a big influence to Tom Waits. Yeah, but. If I listen to Beefheart, I'm not listening to something that sounds like swordfish, trombones, or rain dogs. There's nothing sounds like it. Totally singular. Uh, and at the same time, you've got, yeah, you've got weird stuff where he's playing the marimba on a radiator in a New York you know, basement apartment. But you've also got uh, some pretty songs on there, like In the Neighborhood. Um, and then you've got the bang and clang strutting 16 shells from a 30 16 shells from a 30 out six that's just the, the the blend of music on this thing i mean you've got you've got some blues songs some experimental songs a ballad uh there's there's some orchestra orchestra orchestral stuff on here um i think it's amazing i think it's a true artistic statement uh i love the title track swordfish trombones i love the just the I don't know if it's a xylophone or if it's a bunch of bottles that he's clanging on, but I love the strange choral sounds in that track. Uh, Swordfish Trombones is an album that I like to put on sometimes and go to sleep to. Not that it bores me, because it's very interesting, but I feel that as you drift off into sleep listening to a record like this, it just takes you to a weird place. I don't know. Uh, Swordfish Trombones, Rain Dogs, and Frank's Wild Years, I know they're part of a trilogy, apparently in most record collectors minds but to me this and rain dogs are a duology of very similar sounding records that have similar quality to me even though one doesn't have a crazy ass guitar player like rain dogs does but uh i'm a big fan of swordfish trombones so like i like i said uh, earlier like i said earlier that uh sometimes I don't listen to his albums all the way through as much as I used to. And I, and I, I think that's going to change. Swordfish trombones might be one that I do throw on more often than others. Uh, yeah. Swordfish trombones get, definitely gets a can of beans for me. Um, just personnel wise. Uh, one 
character that showed up actually on Heart Attack and Vine and then carried over to this one and will be with him for the rest of his career is Larry Taylor, who plays a stand-up bass. And that chunky stand-up bass, you heard it on the title track from Heart Attack and Vine, it will be a big part of, you know, the rest of their thing. And he used to be in Canned Heat. That's that's uh, that's Larry Taylor's background. Definitely a big and part he's of a big the sound. personnel member. Yeah. Now, th- thanks for bringing that up, Eric. I, I I wasn't aware of that, and it makes sense that he's had that same stand-up bass player throughout the rest of his career. Yeah, and another piece of the secret sauce uh, will be uh, Mark Rebo, the guitarist who joins for the next album, Rain Dogs, which we will talk about in our track by track. We're going to go ahead and skip over that. But for the context of this episode, more of the same production styles, experimentation, but with a more pop songwriting focus, um, which sends that record in a different direction commercially um, and critically. Uh, but we skip right over that and we'll bring us to the, what they, the, 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 the trilogy, the end of this trilogy, although I would argue, um, uh, you know, the next album, you know, could fit in there somewhere, but Frank's wild years. When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch uh, at some point during all this, Kathleen Brennan and Tom Waits wanted to make a live musical stage production. Uh, based around some songs. Uh, like Steve said, this guy Frank, who's a lives in a delusion that he's some sort of rat packer, but he's just singing in beer halls. Um, and uh, they make this stage show, Frank's Wild Years, and actually they perform it. They go back to New York. They get it. And actually, uh, in the documentary that I watched, it shows the, the program, and, and Gary Sinise worked on this. Uh, Lieutenant Dan himself. And they make a, a live stage production of this. Um, and uh, this would also go into Big Time, which was the concert film, which we'll talk about. But let's talk about the album Frank's Wild Years. Steve, what do you give it? What's what's your ranking on Frank's Wild Years? Another can of beans. Sometimes this might be my favorite Tom Waits album. I am a big fan of Frank's Wild Years. Um, it's got that experimentation of the last two records, but I think they rein it in a little bit, just a touch. And the songwriting is just uh, very good. Um, it, it's got some of that weirdness of the last two records, and, and but there's a little bit more, I don't know, uh, zany city folk kind of thing going on with the characters on this album. Uh, Hang on St. Christopher is an all-timer. I like Straight to the Top. Uh, Temptation, great song. Uh, Way Down in the Hole, uh, great song. And I think it, it was, that's the one that was used in The Wire, right? Yeah. So Way Down in the Hole has been covered. Many different versions. Yeah, covered by many people. Yeah, every yeah, season cold, was cold a different ground. version. Yeah. Cold, Cold Ground, another great song. But really... If you've deleted every song off this record except for two, Innocent When You Dream is one of my favorite songs of his. And it's such a Tom Waits song. From the lyrics to the dreaminess to it, to the old-timey recording style of it. The fact that it's so good, they put it on this album twice. Um, I can't. Innocent When You Dream, it made its way into, uh, unfortunately for them, 
some girls that got mix CDs from me around the turn of the century got Innocent When You Dream on there. Because I don't know what the hell I was thinking. But uh, Lucky great, ladies. great album. Yeah. Great. I, I love I love Frank's Wild Years. And I also like the fact that it's kind of, you know, in the Tom Waits universe, uh, Frank's Wild Years is mentioned on Swordfish Trombones, right? That's a song on there. And then uh, uh-huh. the the big time movie kind of like I think Frank's one of the main characters in it, if you will. Um, I love it. I love Frank's Wild Years. And also the album cover has Tom Waits with an accordion. And Tom Waits is quoted as saying, a gentleman is a man who can play an accordion, but does not. That's, yeah, that's important. Uh, Mark, thoughts on, what's your ranking on this bad boy? Uh, Frank's Wild Years is certainly a can of beans. I mean, that's no question. Uh, This is almost at Tom Waits at the height of his powers. Uh, Hang on, St. Christopher, Temptation, Innocent When You Dream, both versions, goddammit. Yesterday is here, way down in the hole, telephone call from Istanbul. Cold, cold ground, man. That one is brutal. Uh, Goddamn, that song. Can we talk talk about, like, real quick, cold, cold ground? Bring a dollar with your baby in the cold, cold ground. In the cold, cold In his second half of his career or 1980 moving forward. When he wants to, his ability to sound anguished and pained and, and sad yeah, is like nobody else's. The guy can make you laugh, but he could also take on a tone that makes you want to cry. And cold, cold ground, he definitely does that. That like that yelping he can do. Oh my, my God. Jesus, man. His performance on that rec- on that particular song, uh, it is it belongs in the Hall of Fame. It is so good. And it sounds live. I don't know if it is. It might be live. I don't know. Um, maybe I'm thinking of the version that maybe appeared on Beautiful Maladies, but my God, he can do it in the studio, in your face, on the stage. This man is uh, in a massive talent. Uh, a, just can of beans all the way on this on this one. Um, this is, it almost feels like a greatest hits record for God, crying out loud. It's, it's insane how good this is. Um, never could stand that dog. <laughs> top, top notch. Yeah. Everything you, you mentioned, uh, I will say yesterday is here is a special one for me. Um, that's a, that's a, just a cool, like kind of smoky, uh, dark country kind of song. Um, and then, yeah, the <laughs> straight to the top is, uh, is a uh, Sinatra parody that is absolutely hilarious. Um, but the stage production of this and pretty much the eighties, um, trilogy would come out in a album and a movie called big time. The movie was filmed, uh, from his performances at the Warfield in San Francisco hmm. and the Wiltern Tavern in Los Angeles and edited together uh, pretty uh, with a lot of like dramatic scenes too, where Tom Waits is playing characters from the songs. Um, it's, it's quite an experience and one of the best concert films, in my opinion, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, any passing thoughts on big time before we move on? 
the nineties. Yeah, I can I can say that I I do enjoy Big Time. I haven't watched the whole thing in years. I tried to again for the podcast, but didn't get a chance. I remember you were pretty stoked to buy it when we lived together. I think you bought a used copy. Um, oh yeah, VHS right? for thirty five dollars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I like it. It's kind of like Pee Wee's Herman type, kind of just weird, surreal eighties reality. Um, he plays some there's of the like characters. A, one song where he's like, there's a song where he's singing in a bathtub with bubbles flying around him. Yeah. yeah and it seems, it seems like the band that's playing kind of reacts to stuff that's happening with the main character. Like when he's fluffing his pillow and the feathers fall in the band, it's fun. Um, I wasn't aware that they do, uh, that they recorded some of it at the Warfield. Uh, I, I love that venue. So many good shows there. So that's fun. Uh, the big time is fun. It's good. Very 80s, very, very weirdo 80s. Yeah, if anything, um, knowing that he had uh, a few acting roles, I think around this time, uh, he's really leaning into the theatrics of it all. It's good. I mean, I think I've only watched it all the way through once. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the persona that he's essentially amplifying his own character out. It's not bad. It's good. Check it out. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. But uh, his transformation continues, and this eases us into our, what I will call our third and final era that will last until the current period. This is Old Man in a Shed era. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What's he building in there? What's he building in there? Different levels of experimentation, but his voice and production is top notch. Um, and he kind of like flies in and out of Americana to experimentation, uh, to blues rock. Um, but it, it just feels very unified and it kind of follows him through with the exception of some soundtrack albums, which definitely uh, ping to the weirder sides of the spectrum. But we get Bone Machine in 1992. my introduction to his solo albums. Of course, I'm going to give this one a big old can of beans. So many cool tracks on here. Um, it appealed to an industrial kid like me back when I first heard it. Um, but also, you know, I can see it lining up with what was good about his 80s stuff and what was good about the rest of his discography. Uh, Mark, uh, what are you going to give uh, Bone Machine? You're going to give it some hair grease? You're going to give it an old shoe? No shoes, or maybe a can of beans. I'm giving, I'm giving it a case of beans. My God, this is my all-time favorite Tom Waits record. I think it's perfection, um, and I'm sure that uh, it it could be pretty um, predictable that I would say that. But man, Earth died screaming, dirt in the ground, such a scream. Jesus gonna be here, going out west. Which my God. That song is got so much fucking charisma and swagger on that one song. 
Um, it's amazing. I got hair on my chest, and I look good without a exactly. shirt. Exactly. I know vo- uh, karate and voodoo, too. Um, black wings, I don't want to grow up, which the video um, is pretty amazing. The Ramones then later covered that uh, that feel, um, which is two alley cats and, um, <laughs> and Tom Waits yeah. and Keith Richards <laughs> just yelling at oh, the moon. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that fucking song. And it works. It's so good. It's so good. Um, Bone Machine. It is not just a Pixie song. Um, It is a great Tom record. uh, Tom Waits record. I love this fucking record so much. So there you go. Costco case of beans. Steve, what do you think? Yeah, it's a case of beans. Obviously, it's it's definitely one that even though I didn't get to him around this time and I went back to it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the stuff. Uh, I think that it probably uh, the the alternative rock uh, group of of the time, the alternative rock people, this gave him cachet with them. Um, and he recorded it uh, in, in a a room that he described as a cement floor and a hot water heater uh, basement, and and I just think that suits it so well. The 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 echoey reverby percu- percussion type music you get on this and that album cover <laughs> i never knew this until this season that's his face uh, uh jesse dylan son of bob dylan took that photo that's him screaming and he's wearing a score a, a horn skull cap and goggles <laughs> i had no idea <laughs> what that was <laughs> um, uh, i could totally see ste- it steampunk yeah yeah but it's also got you know it's got Les claypool on it it's got brain it's got keith richards and it's just got a bunch of really good songs. And it's, yeah, this is, you know, Eric, you're calling this the the guy in the shed era. You're totally right. Um, I was reading a review of it and someone said, yeah, Tom Waits has gone from, uh, you know, the, the heart of Saturday night crooner to the 1980s avant-garde scamp uh, observer to now he's kind of like, yeah, he's either in a shed building things or also he's kind of like a, I don't know, like a, like a, like a doomsayer bringing the plague in his hand. Like he sounds frightening in some of these songs. It's a, uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's, he's, yeah. he's, he sounds like a, something you would see in a biblical movie. <laughs> yeah, no, just, uh, and like, yeah, when you look at the track listing for this album, I mean, yeah, Earth Died Screaming, the way that song kind of just comes in with the bone percussion and then the, and, the, and when the chorus kicks in, absolute silliness, how good it is. Um, All Stripped Down is fun in its weirdness. Who Are You? That's a good song. That's, a, that's kind of more of a, a, a ballad. Um, Jesus Gonna Be Here. That's a so basic, but that weird attitude guitar and his voice, but it's awesome. Going out west, my God, what a rocker is going out west. That that song's ridiculous. Um, uh, that feel, as Mark said, that's fun. Dirt in the ground. Record. Yeah, dirt, dirt in the ground is good man. too. But Kane's the one able killed him with a stone. That's is that what? Yeah, I was actually gonna say I like the fact that. I think Tom Waits brings up Cain and Abel at least twice in his discography. And of course, 
uh, our friend Tom or our friend Bruce Springsteen with uh, Adam raised a cane. So there's another. So we got them. They both like Cain and Abel lyrics. They both uh, sing a song called Jersey Girl. The, uh, the 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 connections with him and Mr. Springsteen are, are legion. But uh, two things about this record that I like. One is this is when he goes back to he's recording and living in the the Sonoma era area area, um, which I I love that part of California. I like that Tom Waits is a guy that was born in Santa Rosa. My wife was born, and also my wife met Tom Waits once in San Francisco when she worked at a hair salon, he came in and he bought hair product for his wife. So we have a, he signed the receipt and she kept it. So I've got that in my house somewhere. But, uh, also I just, I like the fact that, yeah, he goes back to Northern California and he's been there ever since or uh, coastal California rather. And that's just, that's fun to me. I like that. And then when he, when he became the weird man that lives in a shed, and started writing music with Les Claypool every once in a while. He's been close to our neck of the woods ever since. And that's fun. Yeah. That's, it's, so it's, I, it's I like that on. Yeah, I like that kinship on this album. Also, this album has my. Ah, hyperbole. One of my favorite songs of his, if not top three, top three, Black Wings. That song Song's does great. things to me. Yeah. yeah, the guitar in that song, the, his his vocal delivery, the biblical lyrics. I can't get enough of that track. Yeah, Bow Machine's fun, man. Bow Machine's great. And uh, the only thing that's wrong with it is that there's nothing wrong with it. Except, Eric, you skipped over the Night on Earth soundtrack. Oh, yes. Thank you. So soundtracks are popping up for, for Mr. Waits. Um, we'll talk about his film performances a little bit later. Um, but he, it was working with Jim Jarmusch in down by law. And then Jim Jarmusch followed it up with night on earth and got Tom Waits to show up and make a score, uh, including the, uh, uh, two like theme songs, different versions of the theme songs for it. Um, the score itself is, is, is very much aligned with this era of music. It's, it's, but a little gypsy and European influenced. Um, this is another one that when I found it at Amoeba, I paid way too much money for it, not knowing that streaming services would have it <laughs> a few years later. Uh, but Night on Earth was pretty cool. And I like his connection to Jim Jarmusch, um, which would come to fruition in a hilarious episode of John uh, Fishing with John, where John Lurie takes him fishing and it, and Tom Waits gets so pissed off with the whole experience. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I think any Tom Waits fan should listen to the Night on Earth soundtrack. It's, uh, I think the first track might have some Tom Waits singing, but then the rest of it's that late the first 80s. First the last, yeah. The okay. Old world. The, la- the last of it's that late 80s, early 90s, weird marimba instrumental stuff that he does. I think it's great. Um, I saw that movie when I was a kid. My friend's older sister rented it. And I I kind of felt when I was watching it, I was like, I, um, I'm 11 and I don't know what this is, but I, I think I feel smarter from watching it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is art. I, yeah, I will, 
I will watch all Jim, all, all Jarmusch. He's a friend of the show as well. Yeah, so is John Lurie. John Lurie's a friend of the show. Be careful in the forest. Broken glass and rusty nails. If you're to bring back something for us, I have bullets for sale. Sounds good. Well, speaking of soundtracks, in 1993, uh, he connected with Robert Wilson who is a German uh, uh, playwright. Um, and this would be his theatrical collaborator for many years. Um, Black Rider is based on an old German folktale. Um, and this one was, was stacked. William S. Burroughs helped write the script. Tom Waits came in for the music. They released an album. And, and Tom Waits' soundtrack albums, I actually score on a different metric because if you can't see, you know, if you're not seeing the play, you, how many songs stand by their, by their own? That's kind of what I look at. And, and black rider gets a pretty high ranking for me. It gets about the highest of the high of the hair grease. It's got so many good tracks, the ones that stand out. And then the rest is just sonically interesting. Uh, specifically just to write bullets. Uh, I made a a, <laughs> a two year independent film project titled after that uh, a film noir that uh, that maybe uh, the highest paying Patreons can watch one day. <laughs> um, and then Ru Russian dance is a is a great instrumental. Lucky day is like the epitome of his hobo character. There's some fun stuff on this album. Uh, the title track "Come Along with the Black Rider." That's a Disney movie like intro, if I've ever heard one. And I do have a personal wish to some day see Tom Waits voice a character in a Disney movie. Um, and that's about probably about as close as we'll ever get. Um, the Black Rider, hair grease for me, but I don't know. Mark, what do you think? The Black Rider, um, I'm going to have to give it an old shoe. Um, I appreciate oh what he's God. trying um, the podcast <laughs> <laughs> i think it's a better concept than what it actually like sounds like um i don't know i mean for me like there's only a few highlights on the record um november and just the right bullets uh which i know matt thomas and you wrote a uh, movie with that title um I mean, I don't know. You could tell this is made for the stage um, and it's just not not quite doing it for me in this particular medium. Uh, maybe if some visuals were put together where I could associate what they were trying to do, I might have a little bit more interest in. I think it's just kind of sandwiched between uh, two classic, spoiler alert, uh, albums. Well... Well, Mark's not having a gay old time. Uh, Steve, what do you think? There you go, folks. This is why this is why you come here to the pod, like a whole podcast where we definitely aren't just all yes men because the Black Rider for a long time has probably been one of my favorite albums of his. I don't think it's my favorite album of his. Man, I listen to it a lot. Part of that is because, yes, it's a soundtrack and you can put it on in the background. But, man... 
the high highs in this one for me, the just the absolute bug fucking sanity of this record just appeals to me so much. Um, and I, I do love uh, the, some of the reoccurring melodies in it. But also, yeah, the Russian dance and the the weird, it's just uh, heightened intensity of, of some of the songs on here. But there's some very pretty moments as well. Um, and, and all that aside, though, the reason that I like this album quite a bit, besides the fact that I just think it's a great album, is uh, is this is the one where like, and I, I think of my Tom Waits origins. I was already into Tom Waits, but Eric, we've probably talked about this before, but when we went and saw the Melvins in Chico once, we were driving back uh-huh. to Sacramento and listening to this album. And that was the first time I think I heard it. And when I heard Lucky Day for the first time and that bit about the can of beans <laughs> and we were driving through pitch black California, it was one of the most transformative moments of my life. So there might be a bias there because that one moment yeah. hearing that song for the first time in that perfect place with a, at the time was a new friend. I have that memory. Yeah. That but, memory. but still, I, I still think it's a good album. I think it's a, uh, I don't know, man, Russian dance. You can't fuck with that track. So, but yeah, it's, it's definitely Tom Waits. It is most insane. It is most whip cracking, snarling, just eating bugs, Renfield insanity. So it's a, it might not be for everybody. Well, he, his collaboration with that playwright will continue later and with similar insanity for sure. Um, in 1999, uh, sure. You know, Tom Waits, uh, showed up in a, a particular album new label epitaph records uh which is a punk label and they had a new like sub uh like uh, spin-off which was kind of like their their an imprint uh, i think it was an imprint like punk i could do an anti-episode i could do an anti-episode shit for sure and uh mule variations debuted on it and we get a huge, a huge album closing out the millennium. Uh, go ahead, uh, Steve. What, what what do you think about Mule Variations? Oh, what 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 is there not to like about Mule Variations? Like Mark said earlier, uh, with the album covers, I think it's one of his best album covers. It's just him walking up a hill, um, but he's fully into this like man that lives in the in. It, it, over there in the sagebrush kind of vibe uh, going on now. <laughs> um, and I think it's a very, it's like, I think it and Bone Machine are very much two of a kind. Um, I think Mule Variation is a little less abrasive, but not any, not, it's not a detriment to it. It's a, it's another can of beans, this record. I mean, we're, we're talking about like all time classic records. We're talking, uh, Desert Island stuff here with albums like this and, and Bone Machine. Um, I mean, Big Big in Japan's fun to listen to, but also the lyrics are hilarious. Again, the guy is funny as hell. Um, 
But then you've got like a hold on. Oh my god! Like, hold on. It could, it could be right up there with the best of his uh, tear jerkers from the seventies. That that, that that track is amazing. Yeah, I mean, get behind the mule. Does it need to be? Does get behind the mule need to be seven minutes long? I don't know about that, but you know whatever. House where nobody lives. That's another great one. Um, a picture in a frame. That's one of those that I when I when I say that I don't put his full length albums on all the time. I still have a lot of his songs in my rotation. That is one that I love. I love the lyrics. It's very earnest. But I also love that he does this quite a bit in the second half of his career. When he plays these ballads or these soft-spoken songs, he, he underproduces them where you can like hear him sit down, hear him breathe in, and hear the piano being open. Squeaking in the, in the yeah. bench. The piano bench is creaking under oh, him. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. It just adds to it. Um... Chocolate Jesus, that was covered by the Yuletain Wranglers. <laughs> um, uh, and come, come on up to the house. I mean, come on, get out of here. That's a hell of a closer. Great. And as far as lyrics that you just like, you know, think about to yourself go, the line, uh, you don't meet nice girls in the coffee shops, always sticks in my head. So that's off this album. Um, good album. Great album. All right, so that's a can of beans from you, Mark. Let's go for the cycle, because this is definitely a can of beans. Um, I mean, <laughs> big in Japan, it opens with such a uh, uh, a statement. You know, it's kind of leaning into, yeah, I'm kind of a weirdo, but, you know, I march to my own tune. I may not be big in America, but I'm big somewhere else. And this somewhere else happens to be in Japan, um, but we all know where that is. It's in the hearts of people who look for something a little different. Um, hold on, that song, man. Uh, there was a show that uh, degraded into really bad TV. Um, it was on for 11 seasons, and that show was The Walking Dead. Uh, in one episode, um, when they were holed up in the prison, this was kind of like around the, the governor times, if you're a comic book fan. And one of the characters starts singing this song. I was like, well, shit, okay. Filipino box spring hog. Uh, <laughs> That one right there, that is like, it's like rolling around caramel in your mouth. Um, if you say it out loud, you immediately smile. Um, and the song itself is pretty amazing. And I mean, it sounds like how you would describe some of his junkyard music. You know, like what, what genre would you put uh, Tom Waits in? Well, it kind of sounds like a Filipino box spring hog. <laughs> And uh, come on up to the house. What an oh, yeah. all-time closer. Um, I will come on up to the house. Thanks for inviting me up. Because uh, the whole record, when you look at the album cover and just what Steve said, the guy that lives in the sagebrush, um, you kind of do find yourself walking through the prairie fields on this one. And mm-hmm. the way that that uh, kind of ends, like, well, come on up to the house. It, it's just very... just. It's a good little little button on this record. It's uh, absolutely a case of beans. 
Also give it a case of beans. It's fantastic. And it's kind of going full, full circle. He's kind of connecting, reconnecting with his Americana roots. Um, and while I don't really have a lot of time for folk music these days, uh, the production, the fact that his lyrics are always entertaining and a little dark and the there's always a little grime around whatever he like his prairie vision uh it works for me and um from here on out the production quality of his albums are top notch and it's him and kathleen co-producing and uh doing a great job so mule variations uh desert island album if we haven't sold it uh Go ahead and find yourself stranded on a desert island. And <laughs> we also got to mention that uh, Les Claypool in... and uh, Lair are both on this album. That's absolutely right. Um, absolutely right. So uh, in 2002, we get uh, the double release. And I remember when this came out, you bought them. I I got the promos because at the record store because I was the I, apparently the only Waits head at that time at the store I was working at. And uh, we get Alice and Blood Money, both Wilson plays that he was working on. Alice was based on the, um, you know, the writer of Alice in Wonderland and his weird relationship with a girl named Alice. Um, Blood Money was, uh, Wojzek is the name of the play. And they're drastically different records. Alice is... The most German of all of his soundtracks? Really? Dr- you think drastically? I mean, they're different, but... I mean, I... I to to me, I, I can think, tell, I think I Alice... I can tell they were recording around the same time. I don't know. I disappear in your name. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Alice, I feel, is, 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 is more subdued. Blood Money is pirate music, in my opinion. Um... I give, you know, I give Alice a little hair grease. Um, the uh, the title track is very good. Another Man's Vine, solid. Uh, and then you get to this song called Fish and Whale, which is a story about two sea creatures that, or no, Burden, Burden Whale, uh, two sea creatures that can never be together because they, they, they just simply can't. They, by nature, they can't, but they love each other. But they just cannot be together. And I think it's kind of a perfect breakup song. Uh, Blood Money, on the other hand, is a... Uh, I give it a can of beans. And... Um, uh, what you got here is a bunch of pirate songs. Um, Starving in the Belly of the Whale, God's Away on Business, Misery is the River of the World. And then you get a couple great ballads, like All the World's Green. Um, I think it's the stronger of the two. That's my opinion. But uh, Steve, what do you think about these two soundtracks that drop? I'll agree with you on the just the rankings that uh, Alice is Alice is high hair grease for me. Uh, I, I think the title track is great. I like everything that you can think. Flowers Grave is good. Uh, Poor Edward, great great track. Have you heard the news about Edward? Tabletop Joe, that's a fun weirdo song. And then, yeah, Fish and Bird goes in his greatest hits. Um, Alice truly, even though there are many songs that have lyrics and verse, chorus, verse, 
Um, actually, you know what? There's not a lot of verse-chorus-verse, even though there's a lot of singing on it. It still kind of is instrumental and does regale itself to the background. Um, high hair agrees, though. I, I love it. I, I have an affinity for Alice. I think that Alice has a very good sense of sadness that is consistent through the entire record. A good sense of place. Uh, Blood Money. Yes, Blood Money is a stronger of the two. Blood Money is a can of beans. Um, it's just below the beans of the 80s and, and the, the mule variations of the worlds. But, uh, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't knock such tracks as, uh, yeah, All the World is Green, um, Starving in the Belly of the Whale. I think Starving in the Belly of the Whale, is, he definitely finds a new level of uh, uh, weirdo prophet. Is that <laughs> a version of him? Um, a prophet that's just going mad. Uh, Starving in the Belly of the Whale is great. Um, yeah, no, I, I really... I really, I really like Blood Money quite a bit, and when they, when they first came out, I probably listened to Blood Money a lot more. Um, it doesn't Blood Money doesn't sound as like I, I I like the Black Rider a lot. I like Alice a lot, but both of them you can tell they were written with that guy that was helping them write plays. I think Blood Mar Blood Blood Money sounds more like a conceptual regular album, with the exception of Knife Chase, the rest of it kind of just sounds like songs uh, all the world is green coney island baby god's away is bit uh, god's away on business uh, great great stuff yeah so it's a tale of two cities on this one uh there was the best of times and there was the worst of times i wouldn't say the worst of times i would say an old shoe on alice i would say a can of beans on blood me uh, so here's the deal. I listened to Blood Money before I listened to Alice. I think not at the same time. Uh, I think they were like months apart in terms of when I actually got around to purchasing Alice. My expectations were a little high. Um, also, I was a little burnt out and like, okay, this is like Tom doing Alice in Wonderland. Everyone wants a bite of that apple. Uh, we got Tim Burton doing that. We've got, you know, Tom Waits doing that. We got... No, Johnny Depp doing shit, Mark. Finding Neverland. <laughs> Tim, uh, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland was years later. Calm down. You're you, this is you're yeah. doing you're doing you, what Mark, my mother does. You were does. there with a bag of popcorn. No, hold on. No, hold on. <laughs> Man, I'm just saying. Here's, here's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm, I'm very specific about this one stone. Is that you're doing what my mom does, where she just retroactively like you know makes all this. Oh, this happened this year. This happened that year. Let's Alice just say, did not happen around the same time as anyhow um blood money though I mean like uh, before I get into the actually what I really liked about blood money I will say tabletop Joe is a good one um I think Eric cited a another particular song um called uh fish and bird um which has some really good lyrics uh, but you know I I'm getting just not as much enthusiasm when I have to go listen to Alice when I do a run through, but I do get juiced when it's time to listen to some blood money. Misery is the river of the world. Everything goes to hell. God's away on business. Now that particular song um, is awesome. And what makes it awesome is that some mad scientist, mad genius, someone I would love to shake their hand and give them a key to the city 
decided to mash up this song with clips of the Cookie Monster perfectly lip singing this fucking song. Uh, I think that it uh, puts everything into the stratosphere uh, for me on this song and on Tom Waits. It it marries things that I you know hold dear and true, uh, the Muppets slash Sesame Street and Tom Waits because they just seem to go like peanut butter and jelly. Um, another man's vine, another great song, and then knife chase. Just more dynamics happening in Blood Money. It's 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 a, it's a treat. It's a ride. It's fun. Um, it is pure Tom Waits mainline. Every everybody row, everybody row. Oh, it's great. So Blood Money, can of beans, Alice. You have to wear the old shoe. Wrapping up these albums, there's only a couple more. Um, Real Gone, at this point, uh, I know we were all in each other's lives. And uh, two years after those soundtracks, he was going to put out his, you know, first real, like, you know, album that wasn't related to the soundtracks, which we were all excited for. Real Gone came out in 2004. You've got Primus back. You've got his Mark Rebo and, and Larry Taylor. you got his, you got his band cooking. Uh, brain all over this one. Um, and Mark, what do you think about Real Gone? You know, uh, after revisiting, I, I used to be like, oh, it's fine. It's, it's a it's a fine record. Um, but man, after revisiting it, I mean, this is like solid shit, man. I mean, it is a can of beans. Um, I think that it is kind of more loud and noisy. There's not a piano to be found on here. Um, hoist that rag, sins of my father, shake it, don't go in that barn, how's it going to end, trampled rose and make it rain. Um, that is a uh, really good collection of songs. Everything else doesn't necessarily fill as filler. It just kind of all flows together. I mean, my goodness, I even think there might be some DJ scratches on this particular record. Uh, but man, it, it does it for me. Um, sometimes I think that this one and Mule Variations might almost hold... Uh, very similar feelings, but I think this one might go a little more underrated. Um, but real gone, real good. Yeah. <laughs> and and you bring up a good point. Uh, Casey waits. His son is playing drums on this album. He's scratching turntables on this album. Tom is doing beatboxing with his mouth on a few tracks on here. Um, uh, and yes, I like the Mule Variations uh, connection. There is. Some similar themes and production. I think it's a good sister record. She took all my money my best friend. You know Steve, story. what do you think about Real Gone? Yeah, what I like about Real Gone and Spoilers, uh, his last album, is um, I feel that he takes his the the '90s weirdness and the moving back to Northern Californianness clanging he brings in a little bit more of his uh 80s avant-gardeness in a way um and then also there's some of the tenderness and i like there's not as many piano ballad piano ballads but but i think some of the tenderness from his 70s work even comes back a little bit more on this and and uh that is me um these albums are packed of the gills this one's 71 goddamn minutes long but 
sometimes the sequencing jars me a little bit, but I'm glad that I get to have a song like Hoist That Rag and Don't Go Into That Barn on the same album as uh, Dead and Lovely and Trampled Rose. And there's some pretty songs on here. There's some really clangy noise banging songs on here. And uh, there's room for all of it. And yeah, there's some record scratching, like Mark said. There's some amazing guitar work. Uh, Hoist That Rag has a guitar solo to beat the bend. Oh, yeah, it's you, a Mark, Mark Rebo. Uh, yeah. Absolutely his masterpiece. Yeah, Mark Rebo comes back, and you've got the guys from Primus back. And um, yeah, Real, Real Gone, I think I almost take it for granted sometime. It, it is a can of beans. It's a great album. Um, yeah, it, it's one of his best albums, and it, it's, it, it's awesome. If I had to, yep, the, one, the one moment on it though that kills me is on the "Don't Go Into That Barn," the call and response. The, you know, did you bury your fire? Yes, sir. Did you cover yes, your sir. face? Yes, sir. Uh, yes. Did, you, did did the moon see you? No, sir. That whole bit. That's awesome. Yeah, that's <laughs> so good. Born to fate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Make It Rain is a barn burner, uh, little like funk gospel track, uh, which is some of his best vocal performances. Ma- make It Rain's another one that brings up Cain and Abel, and Make It Rain's one of his best songs of all time. He played, he played Make It Rain when they inducted him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when uh, Neil Young inducted him. That's awesome. So uh, in, after this came out. Uh, he released his first box set, a collection of B-sides called uh, Brawlers, Ballers, and Bastards. Uh, I personally think it's one of the best collection of B-sides I've ever heard. Um, this one definitely gets a can of beans for me. Even though they're not all great, you've got three discs of mostly top quality music. Uh, Mark... I don't know if you noticed, but they, you know, he does his hi-ho song from Snow White from a weird Disney cover album that came out in the 80s. Uh, That's got, right. It's uh, good. It's great. Too. Song from, not, not, I'm not sure about yeah, that Disney yeah. collection of, but I will say his version of hi-ho is yeah. uh, one for the ages. I mean, who else could do the, the perspective of the dwarves, you know? Absolutely. And, uh, his song from the Al Pacino film, uh, See You Love, great. Uh, and then just a bunch of originals, like their cover of uh, uh, Jackie and Judy by the Ramones with Primus. is absolutely, that cooks. Like, there is a lot of good shit on this. Uh, you guys want to talk at all about this uh, box set of B-sides at all? I will agree with you, Eric. This is a really good collection. Sometimes in my mind, I feel like this is a lost studio album. And I couldn't say it's the most perfectly uh, subdivided box set that you would find. Um, It kind of reminds me of that Johnny Cash American recordings like God, Murder, and Love. Um, Johnny Cash, basically, you could categorize any of his songs into one of those three categories. And... um, you know, I'd say the same thing about Tom Waits. 
it's either a brawler, it's either a baller, or it's a bastard. And um, just looking at his career through that lens and how it's organized, it's just, it's perfect. Uh, personally, if you ask me, I'm more of a brawler type of guy when it comes to Tom Waits songs. I enjoy the bastards, and every now and then, uh, if I'm hungover or feeling in my in my feels, that's where I go for the ballers. But brawlers, that's my that's my go-to when I want to go to Tom Waits. I agree with that. Uh, Steve, thoughts on that box set before we get to his final album? Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, it's a box set. It was pretty uh, uh, ambitious and audacious. I mean, there's 26 rare songs and 30 brand new songs on this goddamn thing. Um, and it's just a full meal, obviously. And it's so much good music. I can listen to this thing on repeat quite a bit. Some of the songs are samey sounding. Obviously, that's going to happen when you got three discs worth. But the, the, the quality is high. It's a can of beans pretty much throughout. I mean, the quality of the songs is high. The production levels are kind of, they're not all over the place where it's jarring, but definitely there, there's some parts where, and honestly, if you're listening to Tom Waits, guys, we're not listening to something for crystal clear quadraphonic uh, production. I mean, I, I think half the time you can listen to Tom Waits music in a, a busted, like a one half of an earbud, and you'd still get the same you know value you would out of the best sound system in the world. Um but uh, it's great stuff. It, it's just, it's, it's a mix of, like you said, soundtrack songs, some new songs, some songs that Eric, you were telling me, Kathleen said were too close to other songs. So they said, don't put it on the album. Um, it's wonderful. I, I think it's a great collection. Um, you know, Nick Cave put out a B-Sides collection that's three discs around the same time. And I've listened to that thing all the way through maybe twice, tops. And I love Nick Cave. This this album, I listen to the Orphans collection like it's a real record. I listen to it every once in a while all the way through. It's top-notch stuff. And I love the spoken word uh, tracks that are on the last disc. There's one called Nirvana about a young man riding on a bus that's just beautiful. And there's one that's a howler uh, about a guy running into a woman at a grocery store that thinks... He looks like her son. And it has an amazing punchline. Um, I love that box set. It's, it's great stuff. Uh, and, and yeah, a, a three-disc box set of air quotes B-sides might turn some people off, but no, it's worth your time. It's, it's, it, it's, it's like two really good albums smushed in a And I kick my foot at the lights I breathe it in all night There's a light on a canvas tree And money from home supporting me They pay me not to come home I won't eat crow I'll stay away It's good stuff So yeah, I, I think that we've made the case for that B-side album. Check it out. And that brings us to his final studio album. Uh, hopefully there's another one, but he may be done. And you know what? He's earned it. But 
in 2011, he released Bad As Me. And he, he built it up. There was a lot of online listening parties. He had a funny like trailer where he was in the car and kids would come through and he'd play songs for them. Uh, they got another music video for, for Hell Broke Loose. Um, and you get uh, kind of a crazy, crazy album, including a, a New Year's Eve anthem. Um, but what do you think, Steve, about Bad As Me? Oh, yeah. You know, if this is his last album, that's fine. I, I'd love for him to put out another one. Um, it's been over a decade. But I feel that this album, like I said before, with uh, Real Gone, he kind of gets the clang and banging of his newer music. But also, I feel that some of the earnestness of his older music is in this album. Um, there, there's some pretty songs mixed in with the uh, the harder songs. Yeah, the, the, the title track, Bad As Me, is great. Um, Hell Broke Loose, might as well put that in a museum. That's another one that kind of goes up there with uh, Don't Go Into That Barn where it's got the perspective of a soldier, perhaps. Um, but New Year's Eve, I'm a sucker for anything that has to do with Christmas or New Year's. And that has him, and I think he did this in the 70s once too, the May All Acquaintance Be Forgot melody. He puts that in there. Yeah. yeah and that, yeah. if that's how he wants yeah. to go out, then God bless him. Um, I think Bad As Me is a fantastic, for a guy that made records for 40 years, it's a really good ending statement. If this is going to be the ending statement, Chicago too. Chicago. The opening track is just uh, hustle and bustle and noisy, but still got all these horns doing weird shit. It sounds like a perfect mismatch of Bone Machine and like Rain Dogs. That song Chicago. Um, I love Bad Mach- or Bad as Me. It's a, it's another can of beans. The guys, the guys got a lot of beans to go It's great. I agree with both of you that I sincerely hope this isn't his last one um, because it's not necessarily like I'm disappointed by any means because I do give this album a good can of beans. Uh, I remember being extremely excited about it upon release and my expectations were uh, definitely exceeded um, on this particular record. yeah, it's Chicago. That song is just like a honky mess. Like, and I'm not saying it in the way that uh, <laughs> Richard Pryor would say that word. It sounds like, you know. <laughs> no, you like cars driving by and horns honking at you and stuff. No. Definitely, yeah. Um, in Chicago, I, I just, I love that. It, it sounds like you're you're walking through the street. Get Lost, Bad As Me is a uh, uh, very aggressive song in the Tom Waits. Um, satisfied, Hell Broke Loose, man. Hell did break loose on that song, I'll tell you that. When the recording the studio probably had to be aired out after they, they hit stop. Um, that, that song is great. Um, after You Die, another one. Um, and yeah, New Year's Eve. Closes, closes us out. Um, 
like I said, I just I hope I don't hear the last of Tom Waits. Uh, he's such an important artist, and he, he's done so much for music. But I guess that's what entertainers want you to do. They want you to leave wanting more. And if this truly is his uh, uh, his bow on the stage, he did his job. He left us all wanting more. Yeah, he paid his dues. I mean, he got. Yeah. I mean, there was like what seven albums of the 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 singer songwriter troubadour stuff and then eight albums i believe of the avant-garde to uh warlock in the hills to uh the bad is me era the guy the guy gave us a lot of good music yeah yeah so whatever he's gonna do but you know on the off chance he he pulls one out you know Again, I think we'll all lose our shit. Uh, I've never seen them live. Um, I'm actually extremely jealous that my brother, younger brother, saw him in concert at Bridge Benefit for no fucking reason at all that he would have gone to that. But he saw Tom Waits and I have not. And that will be a, uh, a blood feud that happens in our family. I've kind of accepted that I'll never see him live and I'm fine with it. Him and Willie Nelson, both. I had many chances to see Willie Nelson and for whatever reason, I mean, shit, Willie Nelson played seven fucking nights in a row at the Fillmore and I live in San Francisco and didn't go to one of them. Um, now Willie Nelson's 93. So that's why I don't think I'll ever see him, but I, I don't think Tom really is the touring type anymore. So yeah, he doesn't, he's not crazy about touring. He's, he's gone on record as saying like, he doesn't think that Spinal Tap is funny because he actually em- em- empathizes with their tour struggles. Like that, that to him is a nightmare. So, uh, all right, maybe never. Um, but we'll wrap this up. But like Tom, uh, also obviously broke through in in some film roles. We've talked about Bram Stoker's Dracula as as Renfield uh, and. You know, but a big one was it was down by law, uh, where he plays a uh, down on his luck uh, guy where Ellen Birkin kicks him out and he gets drunk one night, takes a job driving a car around. Cops pull him over. There's a dead body in the trunk and he's got to go to prison. And the rest of the movie is him meeting some other prisoners and planning an escape. It's one of the great indie films, films of all time. And having Tom in there is. Uh, absolutely perfect, perfect casting. Uh, Eric, what's the uh, what's the one line? About- what's yeah, Eric? What's the one line in, ba- oh. in Oh shit, I almost gave it away. What's the one line in Down by Law? What's it? Uh, I'm I'm in a bad mood. That's right. Don't talk That's to all. me. Don't talk to me. I'm in a bad mood. Yeah. <laughs> Always remember yeah. that. <laughs> That's relatable. Relatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff uh, from Terry Gilliam movies to, uh, you know, Shortcuts to uh, more recently uh, Coen Brothers' uh, Buster Scruggs. Um, but I don't know if you have you guys want to throw any input, but he's a great actor. He looks he's a weirdo. He looks weird. He's got a great he, he's a great performer. So, you know, he's you can knock it out of the park if you put him in a movie. I think some people would know him more for his movies than his uh, music. Some people. Um, 
when he pops up in such cinematic masterpieces as Domino. But uh, he was, yeah, he was, <laughs> yeah, seven, seven psychopaths. He was good in that. Um, I still, oh, that's a good movie. Uh, Banshees of Ashiran, same director. Yeah, I'm gonna jump around a little bit here. Shame on me. I still have not seen Licorice Pizza, and I'm, I consider myself a Paul Thomas Anderson guy. Have you guys either of you seen that? Yeah, I liked it. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it seems well, like a coming of age actually, vignettes. Did, did either of you uh, watch the uh, Mystery Men <laughs> when she popped oh, up in? Yeah. I mean, that's where we got to man. get here All Star for the very first time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that one where he's like hitting on, he goes to the old people's home to hit on the old ladies and give them butterscotch. Uh, but he gives them their cool costume stuff. Yeah. No, it's awesome. He was in a shortcuts. He was in, a, he was in shortcuts, which uh, I'm, I'm a big Julianne Moore fan. I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> he was getting that. He kind of well, his wife is uh, in shortcuts. He kinda, his girl in that is uh, Lily Tomlin. They're a good. They're a good match. They're they're very funny to you. <laughs> but we need to take it all the way back to Dracula. Well, we need to talk about Dracula again because. Yeah. His hair as Renfield and Dracula is something to behold. His hair is like, it's like the dude from mystery science theater, the, the sidekick to the mad scientist. It's this weird oh, white. Yeah. Poopy uh, TV's thing. Frank. Yeah. yeah. That is something around something else. Um, yeah. He, eating bugs and tall hair. Master! I live for you. So, I mean, There's yeah, he's had he's had plenty of good good movie parts, but almost you know he, he's known for his music, he's known for his movie parts, but he's also known for his interviews. And I think as far as it's funny the 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 amount of people he's been exposed to on David Letterman and Jay Leno, maybe I don't know Arsenio Hall. Versus how many people that have listened to his albums has to be totally skewed. But his appearances on David Letterman are, are something to behold. Uh, I, I, I think those should be yeah. pressed to wax and released on, on their own. Agreed. Letterman loved him. And his music, yes, but just interviewing him and the, the ridiculous banter. Like, oh yeah, no, I agree with you, Steve. Like, that's, that's, goes in, that goes in the the vault of best late night TV. It's so weird. It also just goes in like all out of all the artists we've and talked about. He's one of the few that's like genuinely funny, genuinely witty, genuinely smart guy. Uh, it's just, he, he's, he's a good time to have around that Tom Waits. He is. So, well, Hey, thanks guys. We're going late. Thanks everyone for listening. This has been the uh, Tom Waits wrangle here on Pod Like a Hole. Uh, I'm just prepping you, giving you that background so you can enjoy our track by track episode analyzing Rain Dogs. Hope you join us back for that one. Uh, 
hope uh, yeah, you enjoyed this Tom Waits recap, or and maybe change your mind on Tom Waits, do you naysayers? Maybe not, but let us know. Let us know on the socials uh, how you feel about Tom Waits. Um, go to uh, coffee.com slash pod like a hole if you want to throw us a few uh, coffee dollars. That's ko-fi.com slash pod like a hole. That's ko-fi.com slash pod like a hole. But really, we just want to thank you for tuning in and out uh, every every episode. You're, you're much appreciated. Thank you. We'll see you next time. really have time for this so it's more like one from the fart Mark's starting to say, listen to him cackling he's starting to sound like some of those Tom Waits b-sides where he tells funny stories of himself and laughs Cross between <laughs> 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 dirty old uncle and <laughs> 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 All right, all right.